One of the things I love most about the scriptures is that as our walk and our discipleship of Jesus Christ matures and changes, so too do the scriptures. Certain passages will take on new personal meanings given where we are in our current circumstances. This is why the scriptures will always be relevant. On this episode of the podcast, I have Taylor Smith back on. Taylor is working on a hypothesis that the, in the book of Revelation, the seven churches mentioned are not only historical churches, but also could be a representation of certain groups within the Restoration in these latter days. Stay tuned for a fascinating conversation on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Look, it's no secret that our society has become much more crude and coarse. To become and raise men and women of virtue and character is a Herculean task. To help with this, I have recently wrote and published a book. Now, back in the 1700s, Washington had a book called Rules of Civility and Decent Behavior in Company and Conversation. It was a book with 110 rules that talked about how to conduct yourself like a civilized person in society, something that today's society is sorely lacking. What I did is I went back through the book and I reinterpreted his original sayings for the 21st century. So the book is laid out in a way in which you see Washington's original rule. Right below that is my explanation for the 21st century. And below that, you'll find two or three examples of where to use this in the real world. Now, to go along with this, there's a workbook that helps parents teach these principles and practices to their kids. To find the book, go to mormonrenegade.com, go to the bottom of the page, Search out the blog post and order your copy today. I can bear personal testimony from personal experience that this is an invaluable tool to help you raise men and women of virtue and character. Taylor, welcome back, man. How's things going? Going great. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be back. So, you know, normally we spend a little time kind of chit-chatting, but I got to tell you, I'm super excited for this. When you... When you first showed this to me at the Book of Mormon Evidence Conference, I was kind of, I was kind of like, well, there's there's some stuff there. And as I've read in, I've only become become more intrigued. Um, so real quick, why don't you break down what what the premise is before we get into it, big time? Yeah. So uh, you know, I've I've had kind of a personal tradition um, of New Year's to read scriptures and just do a marathon. You know. Because, you know, we we oftentimes will do deep studies into various topics or we'll just be reading along more at a, you know, chapter or two at a time in our daily studies. But I find tremendous value in uh, at least once a year doing like a big picture. And, and you really get a different perspective when you read a lot of scriptures in close proximity. So, you know, uh, having kids it's not as conducive <laughs> to just, you yeah. know, pulling all yeah. letters and, you know, and just redoing re reading marathons, but we do the best we can. And, and, uh, you know, I've invited various brothers and family and friends to join me over the years. And maybe this next year, uh, we can do something like that together, but dude, that'd be awesome. So this last, yeah. This last new year's, um, uh, I was reading the book of Mormon and was just, just amazed at how timely and, prescient like how 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 prophetic these events being described in the book of mormon are and in the, the nature of prophecies it's much easier to identify in retrospect like you know prophecies you know you look at isaiah they're a lot vaguer when they're future events but when you can look back or as you can see current events unfolding uh the pieces start to fall in and fall together a lot better 
And so my my brother and I and in law and I were doing our uh, our New Year's study. And uh, as I was reading though, in First Nephi chapter fourteen, it talks about Nephi sees this vision, right? And and it's our day. He sees the restoration. He sees uh, the 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 horror and the the big conflict in preparation. And then he says, and I'm going to stop now because God has told me that John another of his servants is going to write the rest. And when I wrote, when I read that, I thought, man, I haven't read the book of Revelation in, in a few years. I need to dive back into that. And so, uh, and so a few, a couple weeks after, so this is still probably mid, maybe late January at this point, was, was looking at uh, the first couple of chapters of Revelation uh, with my brother-in-law. We were kind of doing this, this uh, study together and it just started to hit us. A lot of these parallels because you know the the revelation of john he's writing on the island of patmos in exile and and he's he's addressing these various churches there's seven churches in asia minor and what's interesting you know these are literal historical bodies of the saints in the first century bc uh, ad so this is post <laughs> christ's uh, death resurrection ascension and the the gospel had been preached paul had been you know doing his labors and so there were a lot of converts, and there were these seven main kind of, I guess we might call them stakes of Zion, so to speak, branches of the church. But they're ge geographically separated, and they have kind of their own unique things. And the big, like, epiphany, that aha moment was, whoa, I wonder if, if these are also, like, archetypical, and if there are any modern corollaries to these seven branches described in the book of revelation that i can identify because i i started to see these parallels between you know ephesus is the first church we'll get into here in a minute and and one of the branches of the restoration that i've gotten to know and and i've gotten to know people and you know some of the strengths that are described some of their you know the things that god commends them for also some of the problems that they have had and that, that they are invited to overcome and I see, I saw these parallels, and I was like, "Whoa! Well, if this works for this particular branch of the restoration, I wonder if the other six churches, if I could kind of find, identify some themes that correlate with some of the other, you know, groups, organized groups, or the the mainstream church." And my expectations, my my mind was blown because I I had that thought, but I didn't really expect it to be such a perfect fit. And I'm not speaking authoritatively on any of this. Let's just be clear up front. These are just um, some insights that I believe the Spirit has led me to that I find value in. And the Spirit has kind of resonated within me of <laughs> these things. Um, and and I'll, I'll bring together some of the kind of the overarching takeaways at the end after we go through these, these scriptures. But um, the main thing for me is it's just yet another testimony that despite how much darkness is in the world, despite all of the, you know, division and the the kind of infighting and the, 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 the wickedness that we see all over the world and, and even within the restoration, this is all going according to God's plan. <laughs> you know, the, the no unhallowed hand can stop the work of God from progressing. And, uh, and, and so he saw all of this in foresight, this, these, these, uh, Book of Revelation um, descriptions of these seven churches, I believe, are very applicable to this current state of the of the restoration today. 
Yeah. And when you first told me this, I was, I was at first a little concerned because I kept waiting for, okay, are, are we going to get to a point to where um, nobody has dirt on their shirt, so to speak, right? Is there going to be one group that's just squeaky clean? And, and the thing that did appeal to me about it, the, the, this theory you have is that all these branches, right? So, so just to kind of break down what you said, you, we're, we're going to correlate the, the seven churches that are talked about in Revelation with the branches of the restoration. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it, it's your, um, your, uh, I guess, idea that, that, that these seven churches are representative or archetypes of, of maybe seven branches within the restoration. Yeah. And so I guess I want to get out of the way first is that while certainly we, we all have some mud on our shirt, right. It doesn't mean the Lord's not working with each of us on these things. Right. And, and just like you'd said, he commends us for certain things and he says, okay, certain things you got to clean up. And if, if anybody, whether it was an independent or from a group that says, Hey, we got this all figured out. My question would be, why are you still here, bro? Right. Like why hasn't yeah. the Lord come down and grabbed you and taken you up? Right. Zion from, you know, above meets Zion from below. And so, yeah, I, I, I want to make that clear that, that this is not to, and pardon the expression, crap on anybody's beliefs or anybody's organizations or anybody's um, desire to be independent. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, is that these are, you know, this is an archetype and maybe something worth looking into. And I, and I did like what you said there too, also Taylor, that, that this is by no means authoritative. This is an idea. This is this is a, a hypothesis you're still working through, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and I I think that one other thing that we can just I mean we're going to be reviewing this at the end too because this is one of the big takeaways. But you know we have all of us have these traditions. Mm-hmm. Now, you're born into the church. You think that's the one true church. You think that President Nelson is the one man, and and you know you you look at various RLDS or fundamentalist breakoff groups or independents. And we have a tendency to kind of look down on those poor benighted souls that have gone astray. Meanwhile, people that are born into the RLDS or the FLDS or whatever other branches, they they're thinking, well, our guy's the one man. And, you know, we're the only ones that have legitimate authority. We're the only ones that are, you know, actually, not astray and all of the other people. So it, it, it breeds this competitive spirit of enmity and, uh, and division. The thing that really, I think, um, brings it home and, and why I think that the spirit has kind of resonated that this, I, that this kind of model resonates with me is it just drives home the fact that we're all part of the restoration. No matter what branch you come from or where you go to church on Sunday, we're all, we have, we, we have so much in common. We believe in the Book of Mormon. We believe in the prophetic uh, role of Joseph Smith. We believe in the Savior and the atonement. And, and maybe there are different levels of corruption in each of these branches, but there are good, solid, humble, faithful people in every single branch. And, uh, you know, and I've made friends with most of these branches and, and my prejudices have been completely dissolved 
the, the better I get to know. Now, it doesn't mean I'm blind to some of the institutional problems in pretty much all of these branches. Um, but, you know, there's one other thing before we kind of dive in, because like, like we've mentioned, it does point out some specific flaws. I think that it's important to, to kind of keep in mind, while these are maybe general themes that are, you know, the unique problems in general of a certain branch, you know, I might be in the church, and we might be reading about one of these breakoff branches, and I might still have that problem, even if I'm in the church, or vice mm -hmm. versa, you know, some of the problems in the church. So even though these are kind of generic themes of these different branches, it's not a per it's not a like perfect thing for every individual. People are all different. You know, there might be a uh, a saintly person within this branch that uh, doesn't deal with the problems kind of general to that branch of the restoration. But he may or she may have problems that are kind of generic to some of these other branches, or we may have all of the problems personally, you know. And so uh, these are just general themes not to be applied to every individual within these branches. Right. Um, but yeah, but but the other big takeaway is despite all these flaws, despite these divisions and these separations, God can work with us and we have different roles to play. As these winding up scenes get darker and darker and, and the pressures mount, we don't have to, like if I'm in this particular branch of the restoration, I don't have to have all the pressure of, man, we got to do everything. I think it's good and, and very faith promoting and hope, hope building to recognize that, that we're not alone. You know, we're not on an island. We have other allies, whether they go to church at the same place with us on Sunday or not. God is working with various branches, um, and all of his promises will be fulfilled, and we may have a key part to play in that whole drama <laughs> that is that we're watching in real time unfold, um, but we're not alone. And awesome. we also shouldn't condemn other people that, that don't go to church with us on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, well, and, and you know, I'm not here to, to tell someone their guy's not the guy, right? I mean, certainly I have my my feelings on it. Um, but I, I think there's value here, whether that's from an institutional standpoint or even, like you were just saying, even from an individual standpoint, you know, as we get into some of the critiques that the Lord has for for these seven churches, I I think probably even more importantly than looking at the institution is you better look at your own heart too. You better figure out if you're guilty of some of these things. And can you can you make changes in your own personal life to make them make them better? Hundred percent. And it's also interesting, since there are flaws in all of them, to note that Isaiah, I believe it's chapter twenty-eight, talks about vomit on all tables. Right. And so, like, we shouldn't ever get like you know prideful or arrogant or thinking that we're we're the one good branch and everybody else there's vomit on all tables if if isaiah's prophecy is applicable to our day which i 100 percent believe it is and so it's it's very valuable from a organizational like institutional perspective but since we since you and i we're not we're not in charge of the institutions where we go to church on sunday <laughs> we're just in charge of me and so to apply that at a personal level it brings opportunities for personal repentance and forgiveness and sanctification. And at the end of the day, institution and organization is important, 
I mean, Joseph, Joseph spent his whole life trying to build institutions and organizations, but the atonement is personal. Sanctification is personal. Exaltation is personal. And ultimately, these, these collective accomplishments have to be built on the personal achievements of every participant in them. Yeah, if, if we're trying to mimic what Joseph did, which was build societies, right, build, build communities, um, the, the basic building block is the individual, then the family, then the, then the community. And so to, if, if you want a, a good community, you need to make sure you're doing your part by being, gosh, I kind of feel icky saying this, a, a good citizen of that community, right? Normally when I hear the term good citizen... You're right, a, a contributing member. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I get a little, I get a little nervous. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, I guess we're still too close to COVID, and that whole good global citizen thing just still rubs me the wrong way. But anyway, yeah. all right, let's dig into it. Where do you want to start? So let's dive in. Uh, let's just start it. So we're going to be focusing on the first three chapters of the Book of Revelation in the New Testament, um, and we'll start with chapter two, verse one. So chapter one, just a quick overview. These are various, it's like the introduction, and it's various titles and uh, names and roles of Christ. And I think that it's interesting, it's fascinating, because these different references are repeated throughout chapters two and three, as each of the different churches are being addressed in this letter from John. He's, uh, he's, he's basically saying, these are the words of uh, you know, in, in verse one of chapter two, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And that is a direct quote of the last verse of chapter one, where it talks about how Christ is the, is speaking. And the stars are these different angels or representatives or messengers of the seven churches. And the candlesticks are these seven churches. So this is just every time jo uh, John introduces and, and kind of segues into the next church that he's addressing, he reminds us, the readers, that this is not him speaking as John the man. He is speaking the words of Christ. Gotcha. So uh, Ephesus is the first church. Chapter 2, verse 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and now how canst how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Now, Ephesus is, is a really interesting church because they have not allowed false teachers or false apostles to infiltrate them and, and gain influence within their, within their community. Um, and they, they do many good works. Like they're, It sounds like they're very industrious. They have works and labor and patience, and they don't have any patience for the evil people and the deceivers and the imposters. So this is, a, I think, a really good like commendation of the church at Ephesus. And, uh, and continues into verse 3, a few more kind of praises. Thou hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labor and hast not fainted. So they've been working hard for Christ's sake without fainting. That's, that's fabulous. Nevertheless... I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. So this first church, Ephesus, their problem, I believe, is that they have neglected the preparatory gospel. 
you know, the, the first love would be the good news of Jesus's atonement. You know, the first works of faith, repentance, baptism, some of these preparatory things that, that are getting neglected. And, and so this was the first clue. This is, this can't be applying to the church because they've always emphasized the missionary efforts. They've always emphasized these, these uh, preparatory gospel things. Um, but, but various uh, fundamentalist people that I've met, there have been some times that I've heard that, oh yeah, we, uh, we didn't do any of the things like endowments or some, any of these other ordinances because we were only supposed to do plural marriage and nothing else. And, you know, so it was just like, right. that's what we do. And I think that that is, this is just a gentle uh, admonition that they need to uh, repent. And, and so continuing in verse five, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. So again, the first works, what are the first works? You know, if you look at the Articles of Faith number four, faith in Jesus Christ, repentance, baptism for remission of, of sins, uh, confirmation, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, I would even continue that into um, some of the other ordinances, sacrament, uh, you know, baby blessings, these these things that, that we, if, if so like for me I, and, and you, we have our background in the church, we kind of just take for granted, but many fundamentalists kind of have forgotten or neglected to do those types of things. And so this is just a an invitation to uh, repent and, and you know, restore some things because it says thou art fallen. You know, so they're missing out on many blessings because they are not doing some of these foundational preparatory things. The other thing is, you know, in the 30s and 40s, you know, if you were, if we were our age in the thirties and we were looking at, you know, some of the problems in the church, you know, making decisions that we disagreed with and didn't find in harmony with, with our testimonies, it's one thing for us because we would have probably received our endowment from the church and been through mm -hmm. the temple. And so like in those days, I can kind of understand that sentiment that some of the, you know, the grandparents, great grandparents, well, it they expected that this would be a very temporary and brief division and that the church would be set in order and there would be a reconciliation. They could come back into the fold. The problem is 20, 30 years pass and now their children are adults. And then another 20, 30, 40 years pass and now their grandchildren are, and, and they have not had those opportunities that they did to, to attend the temple, to receive the, these things that had been at least to some degree preserved within the church. And, Many of these children of these of these early fundamentalists kind of just got lost along the way, yeah. and so, um, I, and so I I believe that this Ephesus applies to many of those folks who, you know, so this 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 is unique that they have never allowed an a false apostle or a false teacher or evil to to kind of gain influence among them, but the problem with that is, you know. When a false leader arose, they had to break away. And so it's, it just causes more and more fractures and more and more divisions as time passes. But can again, say, can I yeah. say something real quick? Because I'll be honest with you. What John Taylor said at the 18, the, the eight hour meeting, excuse me, 
um, tripped me up for, for, for quite a while where, where he was explicit, don't start another church. And so that, that really, that tripped me up for a long time trying to work, work around that because I was like, well, if we're not supposed to start another church, then what are we supposed to do? And so I think that maybe some of that was even born out of, of the, 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 the major grandpappy of, of fundamentalism, right? John Taylor. And so I I think that that's something that we have to take into account. And that's the other thing I want to say is that, um, I, I don't want anyone to feel like anybody, whether they're independents or in a group set out to do the wrong thing. I don't think that was it at all. I think this was all born out of a time of confusion and, um, yeah, just wanted to get that out there that, 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 that this isn't something that was born out of not wanting to live the gospel fully. It was just a, a matter of what do you do? I mean, there was a lot of conflicting messages going on in this time. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's really important to kind of, you know, get out in the open is, None of this is intended as a criticism or like finding fault with anybody because we can easily apply this to ourselves. How many times have I personally neglected my first love, the atonement, you know, applying the atonement in my life, being more kind in my dealings with my family and my fellow men? Like, so while this may be kind of an overarching theme of, of, of one of these branches of the restoration, one of these churches, uh, we none of us is perfect. I'm not speaking from a position of, well, I've never neglected the preparatory gospel <laughs> because I think all of us have room to improve in those areas. And so I'm not speaking critically or by way of condemnation of any individuals living or dead. Right. Um, but hopefully we can find value in connecting some of these dots and learning from some of these past mistakes. That's my hope um, yeah, in going through absolutely. this exercise. Um, so there's a couple more verses uh, of Ephesus. So now we're in verse six of Revelations two, but this thou hast. So so they have this thing going for him. Thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So who so were Christ, Nicol- Nicolaitans? Yeah. So I had studied this years ago. I had to do a refresher, though. I remembered some of the vague, you know, high-level details. Um, the Nicolaitans were basically a band of secret combinations in the first century AD. And they uh, they were kind of like a, you know, Illuminati before the Illuminati ever existed. Um, but they they taught in secret. They had kind of their secret agendas and plans. And one of their main things that they loved to teach was uh, basically indulgence, you know, kind of if you're familiar with that term from Mm -hmm. Catholic history, uh, that basically if you achieved a certain level of, uh, you know, advancement within the priesthood or whatever, that you kind of were exempted from lesser grievances and, and offenses. Now, there is some truth, a small grain of kernel of truth to that idea if you look at section 132 and some of the the promises of the the second anointing and some of those highest ceiling ordinances that basically you know but it doesn't make any allowances for sin and that's the that's the perversion that these nicolaitans would love to bring in and say well we've achieved we've attained unto this position 
So we don't have to worry about repentance anymore. We don't have to worry about these lesser things. Like we're we're living a higher law. We're exempt from the lower laws. <laughs> and um, and it leads to idolatry. It leads to uh, pride in a big way. And and it it, it just it, it it is very anathema to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. So it's it's so these first few verses have have addressed Ephesus. It's described some of their you know the good things that they have going for them. It's described some of their problems and 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 now in verse seven, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, to him that overcometh. Now we're going to see this repeated seven different times as we go through the churches. It's it's addressing people who have their ears open, who are receptive to the workings of the spirit and the invitation of Christ to him that overcometh. In other words, anyone that overcomes these particular faults within Ephesus, will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Mm. Now, you know, our, our Mormon, our, our access um, to the book of Mormon and, and Lehi's vision of the tree of life right. adds even greater depth to the beauty of this promise and we know that that is a representation of partaking of the love of god obtaining a remission of our sins and you know just that joy that surpasses understanding awesome so um maybe we'll go through the different churches and then i'll kind of at the end maybe i'll i'll give the names of the different groups that i think may fit and uh, you know, but maybe should we go through the rest of the churches, and and then we'll do that at the yeah, end. Yeah, let's let's go through through the rest of the churches, and if if you're not comfortable giving a name to the modern day churches, that's okay. We I can I can have people reach out. It's up to you. Whatever you want to do. It's not that I'm not comfortable. It's just that I I hesitate because I'm not speaking authoritatively here. Um, that. Uh, you know, I wouldn't want somebody who happens to belong to one of those churches, right? Offended that I may be speaking harshly against their grandpa. Who knows? I think there is still value to identify that, but let's go through all of them and kind of look at it more at a principle level. And then I'll venture my kind of feelings uh, okay. just from my experience which is admittedly incomplete and uh you know not perfect so okay all right the next church begins in chapter 2 verse 8 unto the angel of the church in smyrna so the second church is smyrna these things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive and so this is a reference to verses 17 and 18 of chapter 1 again a reminder that christ is the the messenger right or Christ is the source of this message. Right. Um, so in verse 9, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. And um, now this is really interesting because it, it, it you know, and I, I guess I should have said, so they're, they, this this church, Smyrna, is described as works, tribulation, poverty, but then in parentheses, it says, but thou art rich. Okay? I think that this relates to temporal poverty. Right. But spiritual abundance. Richness. Gotcha. So um, poor, poor according to money and wealth and all those other yeah. 
Okay. They struggle economically. They probably, you know, trying to feed their families and just get by living paycheck to paycheck, whatever that looks like um, for many people. Um, they, they are doing work, but they, they face a lot of adversity and tribulation. And they, a lot of that is due to their temporal poverty. Gotcha. Um, and they, so this is this interesting, the, uh, one of my friends loves to call them fake Jews, you know, people who say they're Jews, but are not, they're the synagogue of Satan. Again, Christ said by their fruits, you shall know them. Many people many people can say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and done, you know, even Christians, there are a lot of professing Christians, even Mormons. There's a lot of professing Mormons. You look at a guy like, you know, maybe Harry Reid as, as an example, or, you know, people who claim to and identify as Mormon, and maybe they're even active and in good standing with the church or whatever. But you look at the the things, the ideas that they're uh, pushing and the agendas that they're trying to see take place. And you align that with the scriptures and it doesn't fit at all. It's kind of like the opposite, you know, anyway. So, so yeah. And uh, I, I mentioned Harry cause he's, he's dead, but uh, I don't mean to offend anybody. Um, if you like Harry Reed, uh, but, but you know, as a Utah conservative, I've always had concerns and my circle of friends and family, we can all kind of agree that, yeah, Harry Reed wasn't a, wasn't a great representative of the church in our opinion. So, but yeah. Well <laughs> If it wasn't for that whole pesky, you know, abortion thing, and then the socialism thing, and then all the yeah. money laundered. I mean, other than that, he's great. I, I <laughs> other than that, he's right there. So, yep. All right. So, yeah. Okay. So, continuing on, verse 10. So, again, this is addressing Smyrna, church number two. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried. Ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And so this, this church of Smyrna, um, it's describing some being cast into prison, experiencing all of this tribulation, and some even being murdered. Uh, do not fear sufferings um, or these tests. I faithful, and, and they're promised to receive a crown. Um, I identify this as kind of, uh, a, you know, loosely the independence, you know, people who are kind of independent Mormons, they don't have a lot of the protections of a community. They're kind of more like, you know, just on their own in the wilderness and, and they're surrounded by neighbors who don't understand. They're being persecuted by federal agents who uh, don't have any empathy and, and have no compunction in, in enforcing the laws because they're a standalone, <laughs> like a lone wolf is an easy target, you know? And and I look at some of these guys, you know, Ogden Kraut, Kevin Kraut, um, some of the um, independents, what was his name? I think John Singer was a man who, if you've never heard of John Singer, he was a independent Mormon fundamentalist um, by all accounts, an amazing guy, a wonderful father and patriarch over his household. Um, but he he was living the principle. And in the 70s or 80s, that was much more dangerous than it is even today. Um, there's there's risks in any era, uh, uh, you know, in, in this culture that we live in. But he was especially vulnerable in that time. Um, but interestingly, they were never able, I mean, he went to prison and stuff, but they were never able to like lock him away. Uh, 
but what happened is he was homeschooling and his his children were not enrolled in the public school system and so the, it got you know government agents involved and long story short he kind of had, was like house under house arrest couldn't leave his property because they were waiting at all of the borders of his land and one day for for some reason he had to go and do something and he went out to the edge of his property and he was murdered um and so like these by, these by guys federal agents uh, I can't remember if it was state or federal, but yeah, it was it was government agents. Mm. And so, like these independents are um, because they don't have that community support structures, and they're kind of more isolated. I think that that leads to economic impoverishment. They're they're much more uh, uh, easily able to struggle <laughs> with economic things, financial things. Um, they're more vulnerable for being arrested, put in prison, um, having these persecutions and tribulations come upon them. And even like in the case of, of John Singer and various others, paid the ultimate price with their lives for their faith. Hmm. So uh, now the promises of Smyrna are interesting. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. So even if their faith and their sacrifices, they're living according to their conscience, even if that results in losing their life, they will not hurt of the second death. In other words, they will inherit that crown that it mentioned in verse 10 of life. They will be um, welcomed into the, the fold of God on the other side. So, uh, you know, I think that it's just I think valuable to to look at, you know, the sacrifices that various independents like you were talking about your time of trying to figure out, well, John Taylor said, don't start another church. So now what? What do I do? <laughs> you know, and, and right. many people feel in good in like in conscience that they're being led. You know, maybe they're not accepted by the church. Many of them get excommunicated or they they just don't attend. But they don't, for whatever reason, feel led to join another organization. And so they just do the best they can as an independent. And there's probably tens of thousands, certainly many thousands of independents out there. Um, maybe some of them listen to this podcast. And so I think it's valuable for us to recognize the risk and the sacrifices and the, you know, the strength that these brothers and sisters have. So and, real and that they are as, as, as a church real quick mm -hmm. back in ephesus there was a little bit of hey you're you're doing this wrong what what mm -hmm. what is the lord saying that 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 smyrna is doing wrong so that's a that's a good question i i don't know that i can point to like a specific flaw um i mean it it's it's just more of a a statement of reality that they experience a lot of tribulation and have poverty. Okay. And so, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that, that God is condemning them for it, but, but, you know, I guess if they were to experience tribulation and poverty and, and these persecutions and falter in their faith, I think that that would be a problem. I think that is kind of implicitly being warned against in Smyrna. Okay. Because it's hard, you know, if you're kind of 
feeling alone, all alone, it's you against the world, uh, it would be real easy to just say, you know what, is this really worth it? I, I could I could just go back to church or I could go join a group or I could just forego Mormonism. <laughs> you know, maybe this isn't all what's crapped up to be. And 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 I think there are some who falter in their testimonies. Um, and so when it describes to him that overcometh, I think that that's somebody who overcomes that temptation, that weakness to deny the faith and to falter in their testimonies. Gotcha. Gotcha. Do you think there's any... Well, I'll leave that one alone. Go ahead, move on. <laughs> you know, I guess another thing you could say, um, and I don't mean this to come across harsh or critical of, of any individuals, but I have talked with a few uh, independents, and you might say that because it, it specifically calls out that they, uh, they're, you know, they're aware of the threat of the false Jews and the synagogue of Satan. There is a little bit of a propensity amongst independents to get kind of really sucked into the conspiracy uh, rabbit hole. And, you know, there are, there are certainly conspiracy facts. There are also conspiracy theories, which are not <laughs> based on fact or objective reality. And so it, we, we have, I guess maybe this could be, this is just my opinion. I'm not speaking authoritatively or definitively or, or attributing this to the book of revelation here. But um, I think that you can go a little too far down the road into like paranoia when it comes to conspiracy. And so that would maybe be something that the independence in the Smyrna branch could uh, could profit from. Yeah, the, the other thing I was thinking is that if you're an island unto yourself, mm. sometimes you can get fixated even on an idea. And there's no one to reel you back in, right? Like, come here, brother, let's talk about this. And that's why I'm a believer. We all need each other, right? We need someone to be like, whoa, man, you, 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 you might be off, off kilter on this one. Let's, let's talk this through, right? Let's, let's reason together as Paul says. And so I, I think, I think maybe that's one of, of, of the dangers, so to speak. But yeah, but I, I want to make it answers. clear. I, I know many, many, many good independent fundamentalists right um the majority certainly don't they stay sound they you know they they do a great job so yeah awesome all right uh well let's move into the third church and so we're now in verse 12 of chapter 2 in okay. revelation to the angel of the church in pergamos write these things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges so this is uh, a reference to verse 16 of chapter 1 again this is christ speaking I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. So this is like, it just repeats and kind of emphasizes over and over that they're in close proximity to Satan's seat, whatever that may mean. Um, but they haven't denied Christ's name or the faith. Um, and this is interesting that there is a faithful martyr described amongst this, this church of Pergamos. So when you said they were dwelling close to the seat of Satan, I was trying to see, I was trying to remember if there were any fundamentalist groups close to the, the IRS building, but I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Maybe you can, you know, there's, there's, you know, 
I'm not going to get too deep into <laughs> Satan's feet. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think it would be safe to say that there are, there is a great deal of satanic influence within Salt Lake. And so um, my, my guess is that this would be describing a group in close proximity to the Salt Lake Valley. Gotcha. Um, and we'll kind of go into more like details, specifics um, at the end here. The martyr is an interesting um, detail uh, of this one. Um, and now going into verse 14, I have a few things against thee. So here's kind of a list of grievances Christ is going through. But before we go there, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Let's let's talk about Antipas for a little bit for a minute. Who was he? Ooh, that is a good question. I looked into it. I can't remember what I found. Okay. Um, All right. Yes. My bad. I I, I should have. No, 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 no. You're good. You're good. Um, I, dude, these are questions I come up with off the cuff, so I don't expect anyone. Yeah, to yeah. Um, and if if anybody feels that's important, I we can do a follow up in the notes. Um, I, okay. I I looked in a few months ago, but I I don't remember, and so I don't want to say okay. anything wrong. Nope, you're good. So um, going into verse fourteen, the list of grievances, I have a few things against thee because thou hast them. They're them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So, so this third church, Pergamos, uh, they have a problem in that some of them hold this doctrine of Balaam. And, and the doctrine of Balaam is that they set up, it's idolatry, is, is the ancient correlation. And, um, and so they would create these idols that they would worship, and then they would give offerings to the idols and the 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 people would you know the 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 leaders would take that offering that was given you know that was sacrificed to the idols and and enrich themselves with it and so i would i would submit that uh you know i think idolatry can take many forms i think one form of idolatry could easily be leader worship now this is kind of putting a leader up on a pedestal and saying that this leader is, you know, our intercessor, you know, you know, we talk to this leader, the leader talks to Christ, Christ talks to the father. And so we set up this, this kind of gatekeeper, if you will. Um, I've actually heard some people <laughs> literally refer to uh, the leadership as kind of the gatekeepers um, for the people. And, and so um, I think that it's it's wise for us to check and say, am I putting my leaders too high on a pedestal to the point of almost leader worship in, in the sense of like, well, I'm going to just do whatever they tell me because, well, they're speaking for the Lord. They're the Lord's representative. They're the prophet or the, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, they're, you know, speaking for God. And if we if we begin to do that, we're doing what Nephi describes as putting our trust in the arm of flesh. We're putting our trust in a man rather than in God. Um, all sorts of, you know, and, and I, I'm not saying this like critically or to condemn anybody because I myself was kind of raised up in these traditions of, you know, just follow the brethren, follow the prophet. 
um, that God won't allow the prophet to lead the church astray. These types of traditions um, are very pervasive within almost all branches of Mormonism. And, and, and I think that it's a danger to ever put the decisions and the teachings of men more important than getting personal revelation um, with heaven to ourselves. You know, I remember, because that was a major concern for me before I joined a group, right? It really was. I was, <clears throat> I'd been down that road once before, and I was like, I'm kind of gun shy about this whole thing of, of, of this kind of structure again. And and I'm glad you phrased it the way you did. It, it, it becomes a problem when you put the man before God, right? If it, and, and one of the things I saw that was refreshing, and, and I'll say this, I believe it's this way in a lot of fundamentalist groups, is that it, it's almost another witness, right? And so you get your revelation, you go, you say, this is what I got, right? I, I am a big fan of file leadership. I think it can really keep us out of a lot of stumbling blocks sometimes. Um just just a second witness in the mouth of two or three witnesses all things are are established and and i don't think that's necessarily bad i think when it becomes bad is what again what what you saw with with warren jeffs right when he said no no no, everything comes through me you don't get to have an opinion and you will bow the knee to me and then i'll go bow the knee to the savior i think that's when it becomes an issue is when when it gets between you and god right when when you no longer feel like you can just go to god in prayer and get an answer yourself i think that's when you have to take a step back evaluate and really say okay where am i at on this you know where where you know it, it's hugely important uh this idea that that there's no intermediary between you and god now again Except Christ. Christ except is the great Christ. intercessor. And, but except we don't Christ, need a, yes. We don't yes. need a man to intercede between us and Christ. We can go directly right. to him. He is our right. intercessor. Yeah. I, I guess, and, and, and that's a fine line to walk as Mormons, right? Because we do believe in prophets. We do believe in, in apostles, right? I mean, look, if, if Joseph Smith wasn't a prophet, then we're all here just debating the words of some guy, right? But... So, so it, it it is a fine line that, that you have to have some tension on, right? And and you have to be able to 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 walk that fine line. I will say real quick, scripturally speaking, there are not verses that say follow the prophet. Um, you know, there are verses that say heed the words of the prophets. Mm -hmm. Um and so and and hearken unto the voice of God. So, but I think you know, just a quick uh, definition check of, of contrasting the word hearken with the word heed. Hearken is, is a very common scriptural phrase that means just basically respectfully listen and obey. And when the Lord is speaking, we should hearken to the voice of the Lord. Like, even if we don't want to, even if we have concerns, um, we can humble ourselves and put our trust in God, even if it even if it defies our current mortal uh, limited understandings. Like that is a that is an appropriate time to humble ourselves and and be surrender to the to the will of God. Heed though is very different. Heed literally means 
pay attention to and almost like when it says take heed that's like be careful of so it's actually a, a counsel the scriptures counsel us to pay close attention and be be wary of or be careful about the words of prophets heed the words of the prophets that doesn't mean ignore them that doesn't mean always disobey them many times prophets are are the 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 messenger that's delivering the voice of God to us. And in those moments, we should hearken to those words, but not because that man, the prophet, said them, but because it was of God. Yeah. So we should never obey because so-and-so said. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of the distinction here. If God said it and the Spirit gives you a testimony, a witness of the, that, it, even if it comes through a mortal messenger, we should obey. And we should humble ourselves and receive that counsel. But even if the same dude, the sec, the, the next sentence over says something else, we don't just, you know, obey because, well, he gave us good counsel last time, you know, and now he's still speaking. So we're, it's not like every word that comes out of that man's mouth is infallible word of God. And so that's what I think heeding is, is paying close attention, having the spirit and having a personal testimony and moving forward anytime the prophet delivers the counsel of god to us we respectfully listen and obey sometimes he does not deliver the 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 counsel of god to us and in those moments the last thing we should do is just blindly obey because now we have set up an idol now we are just following a man rather than following god yeah and 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 we've had plenty of examples where just heeding blindly right that's the other thing i've always said is is don't don't go into it just blindly. And and I you know the the other thing I'll say is is that's not fair to prophets either. Right? No. I mean that's not fair to them because now you put them in a position to where they have to be right 100% of the time and we forget that these are still men. Granted, I I have seen certain instances where where men are are very inspired in what they say and and, and are prophets, but to to take well, I go back to to the LDS talk, right, where Russell M. Nelson squishes the water bottle and then everybody squishes the water bottle. I don't think that's doctrine, right? And so to to set a man on a pedestal like that isn't fair to him either. Um, that's that's a lot of undue pressure. And and I will say I don't necessarily fault any of the current living leadership in the church and in other branches for kind of perpetuating this tradition because it's not like it's a brand new thing like you you search back through the timelines of the histories and all these personalities that have have had leadership roles in the restoration um you know joseph was very careful and he like in the nauvoo period he's he read ezekiel chapter 14 and then he's like the people are becoming darkened in their minds because they're depending too much upon the prophet which is not pleasing to god like he he was trying to convince and persuade the people who were trusting in him to knock it off follow god i'm just a man now uh it was it was difficult because occasionally he would deliver the word and will of god to the people and so like <laughs> it, it's it's just that thing that's so hard for people to kind of differentiate uh, when a prophet is speaking as a prophet and we get a personal witness from heaven we need to obey that as the will of god mm -hmm. when a prophet is speaking as a man we can respect his personal opinion on this or that or the other, 
but that we shouldn't take it as gospel. And Brigham Young, he was a very strong, forceful leader. He had a very, you know, powerful way of, of you know, persuading people to, to do what he wanted. <laughs> and, uh, and I think with good reason, like Brigham was, it, it was amazing what he was able to accomplish in the short time that, you know, of leading the saints across to the Salt Lake Valley, surviving, and then building this thriving Zion society. Um, but there were certainly a lot of kind of follow the man, follow Brigham, you know, do what Brigham says, the uh, traditions that were kind of begun and reinforced throughout that time period. And like, I love Brigham Young. I respect him greatly. I'm not going to ever say, uh, you know, find fault. But I, I do think that it's important to acknowledge that some of these traditions that have become so enshrined in our traditions today actually do go back to the very early days of the Restoration. And that doesn't mean that Brigham was evil. That doesn't mean we reject Brigham as a as a as one of the Lord's anointed or anything along those lines. But I think that we can learn from some of the, the the unprincipled actions that we could qualify as mistakes and do better in our own lives. And Brigham, towards the end of his life, he was down in St. George uh, just shortly before he died. And he he gave a, a talk in which, um, you know, maybe I can just even find it really quick. I have it in my notes um, in another place. But so he shared this um, sentiment in which he says, uh, I am more afraid that this people have so much confidence in their leaders that they will not inquire for themselves of God, whether or not the leaders are led by him. I am fearful that people settle down in a state of blind self-security, trusting their eternal destiny in the hands of their leaders with a reckless confidence that in itself would thwart the purposes of God and their salvation and weaken the influence they could give to their leaders did they know for themselves by the revelations of Jesus that they are led in the right way. Let every man and woman know by the whispering of the Spirit of God to themselves whether their leaders are walking in the path the Lord dictates or not. This has been my exhortation continually. So how do we sustain the, the, the leadership and the prophet? You, well, get, a you know, get a testimony. You get a testimony get a of testimony. what they're saying, right? If if they say something, and look, any any man that would say- get off track. And if they get off track, you help influence them with you know with your own personal witness and, and and you know a true prophet hopefully would have the humility to say huh maybe i did get a little carried away there maybe i should um reconsider i maybe i took too hard line of a stance on that issue um and 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 i think that that there's nothing weak or unmasculine about being humble and being open to correction yeah. and i think that that really the best way we can sustain our leaders whether we're in the church or in a different group setting, organized, organized fundamentalist group, is to get our own revelation and su support our leadership when we are in that alignment. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Because, and, and this has been the tricky thing with fundamentalism that I can tell for a while, right, is, and and I was pleasantly surprised when I got in that 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 I agree with you. It doesn't seem to be going this way any any longer as as much as it did. But for a long time, it was one of these things where you were either completely independent, or you put a guy up on a pedestal. That was that was was kind of the the two options. Um, yeah. I, I don't think it's that way anymore. 
Um, certainly the church I attend, I've heard the man himself say, you, you better get a testimony of what I'm saying, right? Don't, don't just take my word for it. So I think, I think that's, that's good. And, I, and I've heard that come out of other groups and, and look, whoever you think that guy is good on you. You know, you do your own research, you do your own praying and figure out where you're supposed to be and, and go that way. But if any guy ever tells you, I have the answers, you don't have to pray about this that might be a, a, a dead giveaway, right? Um, or if, if he ever or discour is... discourages you from going and getting your own testimony of the thing that he's saying, I think that's something that you'd want to be a little bit weary of. Or someone who either personally or allows others to, to or even just implicitly says, this is what you should do. And if you get a different answer, you're not inspired by the right spirit. And just, you know, basically labeling anybody who doesn't conform to their opinion on everything, an apostate or, or you know, uh, an, an infidel. <laughs> like that, That's not fair. That's not right. That's not scriptural. Um, and, and so, yeah, that should be a big red flag for anybody. Um, I, I do want to, I, I remembered one other point on this um, doctrine of Balaam and like to eat things sacrificed unto idols. If my hypothesis that the idols referred to uh, the, like the corollary in our time is leader worship. I think that this could easily be applied to a group that's attempting to live a united order in which the members of that community consecrate their property to the leadership and they take those offerings to the, the idols, to the leadership and they are personally enriched by them. You know, you look at various uh, United Order attempts that I've seen, and usually the leaders live in very nice, comfortable, well-furnished, uh, uh, large houses. And the rank and file membership of that order live in much smaller, uh, <laughs> not nearly as fancy uh, circumstances. And, and I think that that would be another kind of just symptom of this this idea applying the doctrine of Balaam, how is that going to manifest in our day um i think that's could be a very telling um corollary there yeah yeah no if yeah and and we certainly saw that in in a couple of cases where you saw abuses taking place right um yeah. and, and that's not to discourage people who want to live a united order right i'm sure there are great groups out there doing it trying their hardest and and you know making it work and and as long as you don't see that disparaging i think you're you know go for it right um but but well, I, think, I think that disparity that, that you were pointing out that should be a red flag right um if if everybody else is suffering and the man tends to be above that that's that's not not good if, if if you're out there working and you never see see the man out there working alongside you might want to think twice here a little bit totally yeah and and it's it's just an invitation maybe maybe we're just perpetuating some of the broken unprincipled approaches that kind of have way too much communism flavor for my taste um, like that Zion is not communism. The United Order is not communism. And you've had other guests that have very clearly kind of disambiguated those concepts. Um, United Order 
is is uh, is a voluntary association, and it is a, an extremely equitable association. And the one of the other th signs that it's built on these correct principles is that everybody prospers together. It's not just well the leadership prospers and it's at the expense of of everybody else. Um, it, it it's 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 rising tide should lift all ships, right? So. Um, okay. And I know, uh, we kind of got onto a pretty good rabbit hole there. Um, but let's just wrap up on Pergamos. So the next verse, verse 15, it, it says that this third church Pergamos also has some of them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So there, there is perhaps a propensity within this branch of the restoration to have some of those secret combinations and maybe indulgence men you know mentalities um and and by indulgence like i think that the way that indulgence perspective would manifest within a fundamentalist mormon community is a little different from the catholic idea of indulgence i think that the mormon version of indulgence would be well i have three wives i don't have to worry about repentance or you know being honest in all my dealings <laughs> we you know that would be kind of the indulgence would mean I'm living the higher law, and so I'm exempt from, you know, I don't, I, I can defraud the government <laughs> on some of these, you know, welfare programs. Like, I'm not making any personal accusations or anything along those lines. I'm just saying I've heard stories um, that that sometimes has happened within some, you know, that that is that is a mentality that is in some fundamentalist right. minds. Absolutely. Now, uh, this Pergamos... The next verse, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So this is a warning um, that Christ, he's kind of letting things fly as they are for the time being, but quickly would mean without warning, and he's going to basically take them take out some of these corrupt leaders that that uh, if they don't repent and so my hope is that anybody listening to this or you know hopefully we can all take this internally and, and use this as a mirror where can i do better have i been uh you know indulging myself and and not paying attention to some of the details because i'm living higher laws or whatever our justifications are am i am i not being honest in my in my dealings am i you know enriching myself and 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 you know redistributing wealth in an unequitable way like any of those types of things whether we're a, a member of of this these groups or a leader of these groups hopefully all of us can use this as a personal mirror to find where can i repent right and and this warning though does seem to be more directed at the leadership of, of pergamos um and and that he will fight against them so he's not going to uphold them in this corruption He's actually going to, uh, you know, remove their influence and, and remove them from those positions. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh within Pergamos will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receive it. So the promise of Pergamos is actually quite beautiful. Like, give to eat of the hidden manna this i think is just a reference to the the children of Mo, uh, of israel in the times of moses when they're wandering in the wilderness 
they didn't know where their next meal was coming from. And, you know, if you're like, just to go back to that United Order kind of reference, if you're part of a United Order and you recognize some red flags, the challenge is it's, it's really hard to walk away because you have nothing, you, you know, because you, 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 in many of these orders, the house is not in your name. The title and the deed is not in your name. It's in the order's name or the leadership's name. And, and so like, and there's, and they'll say, oh, you're welcome to leave. We're not forcing you to stay here, but you literally have to walk away. And if you've been in that trying to, you know, build equity or, or contribute to it for, for years or decades or your whole life, and you're just now going to walk away, like that's a big sacrifice and it could right. be scary. And I think that this, this eat, give, I will give to eat of the hidden manna is a, is basically a promise that God will provide. And, you know, manna, it was just a gift that kind of distilled out of heaven and the people walked out of their tents in the morning and it was there and they were sustained. And I think that if we have that faith, if that is what God is giving anybody listening to this or considering that these ideas, the prompting that they should get out of that situation, it's going to be a big, scary sacrifice, but God will provide and and he will take care of you. I, I think it's also important. Were you going to say something? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it's also important that we, we, we uh, make the clarification that, that the Lord's not going to provide if you're not doing your end too, right? Like, if you decide if you get burned by by a bad group and then you toss the baby out with the bathwater, I'm not sure those same promises apply. You know what I mean? If you say, well, the whole Mormonism thing's bunk and there's no God and that sort of stuff, I don't think you can can reasonably expect that you're gonna get get those blessings. So mm -hmm. don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. <clears throat> Just because yeah, you I would... mixed up with a bad group doesn't mean there's not not truth there in Mormonism as a whole. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know too many, but I've met a few like brothers and sisters that were formerly in the Warren Jeffs FLDS organization. And, um, you know, my heart goes out to them because they literally did walk away from everything, they, mm -hmm. you know, their whole lives and many of their family connections, like it was a massive sacrifice, but this says to him that overcometh. So I think that this is specifically referring to somebody who retains their solid foundation, their testimony and faith in the gospel, and, and yet maybe makes those sacrifices and takes that leap of faith. And so if you can if you can get out of a bad situation but retain your faith in the gospel, I believe that is what is meant by to him that overcometh. Um, and it's not just the hidden manna. It says we're all this Pergamos is also promised to receive a white stone. And you know, and a new name. And I think that this is is referring to basically seer stone, seership, the ability to obtain revelation. I think that when you're in a, a you know, a condition where you've set your leaders up on a, an idol, you've made idols out of your leaders, there's a, you know, inequity amongst the leadership versus the membership. Um, and, you know, Th this dynamic doesn't just apply with Mormonism, just anywhere. But when you have that perspective and you've you've basically allowed a man to to stick himself between you and God, that is a barrier to revelation. And and when you can repent and overcome and get out of that situation, 
and retain your faith and testimony, now you can, you've, you've unlocked. God can now provide that stone and new name, which is representative of kind of some temple covenants and promises in section 130. If you want to look at that, uh, these are, these are really heavenly gifts. And the, the most important aspect of it is, I believe, receiving revelation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and this kind of ties back into two, back with a conversation I was having not that long ago, I want to say a couple months ago, where, where the conversation was coming up about how, how do you become an effective uh, missionary, if you will, or an effective uh, witness of Christ. And the thought came to my mind, just set up the appointment, right? Just set up the appointment. Just point somebody back towards Christ and say, look, this is what he did for me. You can have this too. And anybody that sets them up, sets somebody up to say, look, you, you know, don't worry about personal relationship with Christ. Have one with me and I'll, I'll, I'll do the legwork for you. I'll be the one that, I'll be the one that introduces you to Christ. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, there are people who have literally said that, that, that sentence and, and people have surrendered that power to them. Yeah. And I think, that's the invitation here is to overcome that condition. Yeah. Yeah. As if you want to be an effective minister for Christ, the best thing you can do is set up the appointment and then get out of the way and let the spirit and Christ do their work. So if, 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 if you're, if you're putting yourself or there's somebody that's putting your themselves between you and Christ, that should be something you should be a little wary of. Yep. All right. So uh, that's the that's Pergamos um, in Revelations chapter two, verse 18. Now we're going to go into Thyatira. OK. And if you know a better pronunciation, like I'm just a, a hick from Utah. So this is just my best attempt like at pronouncing. It. We're going to go with it. So Thyatira, these things saith the son of God who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. This is verse 15 of chapter one. Again, Christ speaking. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. So, so Thyatira, like that's a lot of good things going for him. Christ is basically praising them for their works, their charity, service, faith, patience, and the last more than the first, like, so basically they're doing more now than they've ever done before. Like this sounds like a really solid faithful branch um whoever this may be uh notwithstanding it's, it's not all it's not all uh good stuff notwithstanding i have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman jezebel which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols so so thyatira this branch, this church, uh, they have a lot going for them. They're very, you know, industrious, and they've, they've done a lot of good works. But they have allowed this false prophet or false teacher to infiltrate them and seduce some of some of Christ's servants to fornicate. And I think that, you know, there are certain elements or factions or, or, uh, you know, propensities that I've seen within fundamentalism that 
are basically like they're saying, well, hey, in the days of Joseph, people were speaking in tongues, and they, you know, they're, they, you know, they're, they're basically saying, why aren't we having these Pentecostal like outpouring types of experiences in our churches? And I think that is a, a, a valid question. I think that you know maybe we are too, uh, you know, in in many in many instances we're not we don't have strong enough faith to obtain all of these gifts of the spirit, which the scriptures describe as being kind of inherent to to faith um, and discipleship of Christ. But I've I've seen that this maybe it's a good desire, but it gets misguided because I've seen Mormons going and reverting to Christian, like evangelical types of congregations. And I think that the woman Jezebel is actually sectarian Christianity, and it is seducing fundamentalists and Mormons who have testimonies of the fullness to, to, to basically fornicate, to, to give up that testimony of the fullness of the gospel and embrace sectarian Christianity because they're in pursuit of these evangelical types of experiences, uh, these Pentecostal types of experiences. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And, and what I find interesting too on this, Taylor, is that this could apply to a lot of different branches of Mormonism. Cause I think it's something that we're starting to see get in there. I know you have a specific group in mind, but I, I think, I think this is something that that I'm seeing more and more in Mormonism in general, right? Where we're seeing the more um, orthodox, and I use quotations there, Christian thought creeping in, right? The the more saved by grace, uh, sanctification is a moment kind of a thing. Uh, more and of seeking a, after seeking after like outward expressions of right. spirituality. Yeah. Right, yeah, kind of, kind of, almost that 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 Southern Pentecostalness creeping in in some ways. Not not to yeah. bash on Southern Pentecostals if that's your creed, but I'm just saying that that it's it's not really Mormon-ish. I don't know if that's a word. I told you last week that uh, I had another announcement coming, so here it is. Um, first, as always, just let me thank you for listening, for supporting when you have. I can't tell you how much that means to me. Now, let's move on here. So here's the announcement. I am going to start start offering um, exclusive content on Patreon, and that's going to be broken down into three categories. But before I do that, uh, I want to tell you why it is I am doing what I'm doing here. And I'm going to make an admission I haven't made before. On the podcast here, uh, as I tell you why it is I'm doing what I'm doing. Back last September, um, I lost my job because of the podcast. Um, essentially, uh, the the company I worked for was uh, working for a client, uh, an organization that found out that I was doing the podcast, and there was some pressure put on to. Uh, get me to put the mic away and just shut up. As you can probably guess, shutting up isn't necessarily my forte, not my thing. Um, so I told them no, probably less diplomatic th diplomatically than what I should have. But nonetheless, I told them no. Um, 
And they said, then you no longer work here. Now, I was very fortunate and very blessed that I was able to go out and find another job. Didn't take me long at all. However, it, it did reinforce this idea that, that I'm, I'm susceptible because I am so public. And certainly while I put my trust in the Lord, um, I kind of asked him what I should do here just in case this ever happened again. And the idea of, of charging for the podcast just didn't feel right. And so I, I was kind of hesitant on what to do. Um, I've also sunk some money into this for software, for hardware, and it, it's gotten a little expensive. So I need to try to offset those costs if I can. So here's what I, I decided on. Rather than beg for donations, um, I want to start giving you something that maybe you feel is um, uh, worth your time and worth your money. I've never wanted to waste your time on this podcast, not once. As I thought about, okay, do I put the old episodes behind a paywall? That didn't feel right either. It felt like priestcraft because I'm not, th these aren't my truths. These are God's truths. And I feel like this is a calling for me to get those out there. So I, I racked my brain hard on what to do. And after a lot of prayer and some fasting, the idea came to me, um, rather than put an episode behind a paywall, offer extras. And that's what these three packages are going to do on Patreon, is, is they are going to um, give you an opportunity to purchase extras. Now, I want to start by saying this. The podcast itself will always be free. I can't charge for that whatsoever. I wouldn't feel right about it, and it just doesn't sit well with me. So you'll always be able to go to Spotify or Apple or wherever you're getting your podcasts, and download it there. And that's always going to have commercials and ads and those sorts of things. So let me break down the three um, uh, packages, if you will, that you can purchase on Patreon that will help me hopefully generate some income. Now, package one I've titled Slightly Rowdy. And on that, you're just going to get ad-free audio. And that's $3 a month. Now, package number two, I've titled Stirring It Up. And on that package, you're going to get um, ad-free audio, ad-free video, and transcripts. And transcripts is, are something that I've been asked for a lot. So that you can have all that for $6. The third and final package is um, the full Renegade package. And on that, you're going to get ad-free video, ad-free audio, the transcripts, and then two additional items. And I want to break those down here real quick. The first additional item is a private community through Discord. This will allow you, the listener, to get on and talk about some of these things with other Mormons uh, of many different stripes. If you're an LDS person and you have questions, but you, you know, it's not like you can go to your bishop and say, hey, you want to break down blood atonement for me or plural marriage or um, Adam God? you can get on there and, and there's going to be people on there that will help answer those questions for you. The nice thing about this is, is it's not like a Facebook group where you're going to have um, the potential of having someone from the strengthening church members committee there to take your information down and haul you into the Bishop's office or, or maybe you're already a fundamentalist, but it's just a question you don't feel comfortable asking 
anybody else and you can do that anonymously obviously on this um on this community uh chat room so to speak now the final um extra you get in that full renegade package is there's going to be an additional show that I'm doing with Benjamin Winfield uh, called More Fun News. And we've already recorded a couple of episodes, and it's a great time. And what we do is Ben and I get on there, and we pick out three or four news stories a week for that week that we thought were important or interesting or maybe even a little funny. And we break it down from a very Mormon point of view. Now, that last package, the, the full Renegade package, that's yours for $12. Now, if you can afford to do this, that's great. If you can afford to buy any of those packages, that will help. If not, I completely understand, and please don't feel like you got to stop listening. Like I said, I'm always going to have those podcasts available for you with ads for free on Spotify, on Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. So that's it. That's That was the next big announcement. One last thing I want to mention is that uh, in the coming weeks, you'll see a new website up. And that new website will have um, an ability for you to be able to search episodes by topic, uh, by guest, whatever it is. You're going to have some options there that, that you can really dig into the website and, and extract useful information as, as quickly as possible. To sign up for the Patreon, I put the link to the Patreon in this episode's show notes. Go there. Click on it if you can afford it. God bless you. Um, I, as always, I appreciate all the support. I appreciate your listenership, and I look forward to continue to bring you uh, excellent guests on interesting topics. Thanks. Yeah, well, and I mean, I I look at it as as sure. Um, maybe we do have room for improvement. I I'm very open to the to the likelihood that I will say I am very open to the certainty that most Mormons we've kind of gotten a little too sleepy we've gotten a little too like pious and we have lost touch with the the component of discipleship of Christ that would be like praise and joy and like we we, we restrain ourselves because that's not reverent <laughs> you know and we you know right. keep it down you know don't want to get too out of control and I'm and and I I don't I'm not saying we should lose control or anything, but I think that there is value and truth to being so overwhelmed by the joy of of like a remission of sins that you just have to sing hallelujah at the top of your lungs. Try doing that in most Mormon congregations, and you're going to get a lot of weird looks, right? And so I don't think that there's a problem of looking at our culture and saying, hey, maybe we could be a little bit more praising of the Lord. Maybe we could be a little bit more like excited about this whole gospel thing. Like, but to, to revert back to the Christian types of church, like, you know, because, because some fundamentalists, like even polygamists start attending these, these Christian congregations. And it's like, they're trying to befriend them, but it's like, you know, they hate you, right? You know, they don't believe and they they think that you're living in sin because you have a second wife or whatever. Like, why are you putting yourself into that environment? And, but oh, but I feel the spirit there. Like I've never felt in my Mormon congregations. It's like, yes, but they're denying the, they're denying the plan of salvation that, that Joseph taught. They're denying Adam God. Like all of these, you know, fullness of the gospel principles are completely rejected. 
but they think that, that, that they're progressing, but when, but it's really a regression. Um, right. They get, they get swept up in a spirit of worship, not the spirit of worship. And, exactly. and, and in doing so, you're, you're kind of susceptible to, to some, uh, some false traditions and false beliefs creeping in there. Yeah. Seek and ye shall find can be a two-edged sword. Right. <laughs> so, um, because God, God does allow us according to the desires of our hearts. And so we, we have to be mindful of, of where those desires are leading to leading us to. Um, and it goes on in verse 21, it says, I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. So this is just tragic because it's not that, that these folks or this branch has not been warned. They've, they've been warned. Um, they've had opportunities to repent, but these have been ignored or squandered. Behold, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. So, um, and I think verse 23 is the greatest tragedy. I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the, the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. So I, I think that this is basically a, a prophecy that those who fornicate with Jezebel, so to speak, um, and who do not repent, the ultimate price they will pay is that their children will be lost. Maybe not like it's not. I don't think it's necessarily like a temporal death. I think it's a spiritual. Right. Um, they, they're going to lose their children to their a, children a will fall from the faith. Exactly. Because as adults, so, you might remember and hold on to some things, but the more you expose your kids to false doctrine and false ideas, they'll take it and run with it. Yes. Yeah. Nope. That makes sense. So, yeah. Um, continuing on into verse 24. But I say, unto, but unto you, I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. So losing their children will be burden enough. Mm. Um, but that, that which ye have already hold fast till I come. So don't allow this Jezebel seductress to shake you from the things that God has given you, the testimonies that you already possess. Hold fast until I come. And, uh, and, and he that overcometh. Okay. So now we're pivoting into like, so we've, we've talked about kind of the, the challenges that are unique to this, this branch and, and maybe certain individuals within it. Um, but we're also pivoting now into, um, oh, my app just crashed. Hold on. Um, so now we're pivoting into kind of the 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 promised blessings um if they overcome if they if they repent and uh and hold fast to the things that they've received there we go um he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end to him will i give power over the nations this is fascinating so this thyatira church number four they are going to be, it, I mean, it basically nations would imply political power. 
Right. Okay. Um, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. So, so Thyatira, the church, this branch of, of, of the restoration will rule with a rod of iron. Now that could sound super severe, which if you look at the lawlessness and the, you know, the, the chaos in the world today, people that come to, to, to hear, I believe that this branch is actually in Missouri today. And, and so when it's talking about these nations flowing to them and giving power over them, I think that this is a, a reference to come to Zion, like the, you know, when, when Zion is established and, and the city is beginning to be built and the scriptures talk prophetically about all nations will flow unto Zion and will say, teach us the laws of God because they have forgotten. You know, if you look at our nation today, 99% of the population of the U.S., don't understand what God's law is. <laughs> right. You know, and because you look at the um, the early days, the founding fathers, they, they knew very clearly what God's law was, and they tried to do their best to pattern the civil codes, the, the constitution and the, the legal code, the law of the land, after God's law. And that's what led to the freedom and the prosperity that we have enjoyed as our heritage as Americans. Um, but as we depart from that standard, as we forsake the laws of God and and go whoring after our own desires, our you know, and other gods, we we just we 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 eventually we forget what God's law even is. And Zion is going to be governed by God's law. So it's it may feel like a rod of iron straightening you out. Um, but I think the other thing that's really fascinating about the rod of iron, if you think about the uh, the vision of Lehi and the tree of life. And when Nephi sees the same vision and he asks for the interpretation of the rod of iron, it's the word of God. You know, it, it's, wow. you know, so you could interpret that as scriptures. But then if you think of the word of God and then the book of John, it says in the beginning was the word and was the word was with God and the word was God. Without the word was not made anything that was made. And then in verse 10, it says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So the word of God is scripture, but it's also Christ. So Zion will be presided over. This is where Christ will reign personally upon the earth. And the people prior to his uh, triumphal uh, return and reigning in the flesh during the millennium, the people who will be building up Zion will be led by Christ. They will be instructed by Christ. And I think that that's what is is ultimately this is kind of the the deepest layer of this verse 27 that Thyatira shall rule them the nations with a rod of iron in other words according to Christ's personal instructions as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers so the hardness that we bring into Zion isn't going to last because we will be governed by Christ or we won't be in Zion and uh, and and any any of our false traditions or the hardness of our hearts that we carry to Zion will be broken. And I will give him the morning star. Verse 28. Now, the morning star, <clears throat> I, I actually had to, to do a little bit of research on that, too. Um, and I found a couple of scriptures in the Bible that refer to the morning star as yet another name of Christ. So in other words, to him that overcometh of Thyatira, Christ will, they will be able to receive Christ. 
um, and he will personally minister to them. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Hmm. Fascinating. So, yep. So that's Thyatira. <clears throat> now, the that's the end of chapter two. Now we're going to dive into Revelations chapter three. Was there anything you wanted to say before we no, move no, forward? No, no. That was just okay. fascinating stuff. That was good stuff. All right. So uh, chapter three, verse one, unto the angel of the church in Sardis. Um, Sardis is, well, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss, we'll discuss the attributes, um, because I think there's some really fascinating things here and says, hath the seven spirits of God, the seven stars, I know thy works that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. So again, Christ is speaking. That's from chapter one, verses four and 16, kind of a reference to some of his titles, but it talks about, you have. I know, so Christ knows the works of Sardis, and thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. So a name, um, this could be very literal. It could be symbolic of maybe a reputation that they are a, a living church, um, but they're actually dead. Um, and so be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. So any folks who feel that they are maybe part of Sardis, you're in a church that has a name of being or a reputation of being a living church, but it's actually dead, but like it, it's not very living anymore. Um, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Now, I'd like to read an alternate. So that's from the King James, which is also the, the Joseph Smith, like inspired version. But I found uh, verse two was kind of like not super clear. So I was on Bible Hub and I found a new living translation that I think clarifies these ideas a lot better. So again, Sardis, wake up, strengthen what what strengthen what little remains for even what is left is almost dead i find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my god hmm. remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent if therefore thou shalt not watch i will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour i will come upon thee so Sardis, church number five, membership here must repent and remember what it has received and heard in the past and hold fast to it. If you don't, uh, Christ will come as a thief, which means that he's going to take. He, is, he will steal like a thief and it will be lost to you. The things that you think you have will be taken from you and you don't even see it coming. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. So this is an institutional condemnation, not an individual. There are individuals, even in Sardis who remain worthy and have not defiled their garments. And, and so to them, I would say if you're in Sardis, you know, I think some of these others, it, it makes sense to kind of hold to the end. Some of the names, I think if it's not already pretty obvious, I'll just come right. out and say, I believe this is the, the mainstream mother church, LDS Incorporated. I think this is the, the, you know, they literally own the trademark of the name. So thou hast a name. 
like they have church right it doesn't get Um, much more clear than that right so they've got the name none of these other branches technically legally owns the name um they have a reputation of being a living church but as, as an institution it is a dead branch and the folks that are within sardis like i think anybody probably listening to this podcast is pretty concerned about the current state of of and the trajectory and the and the rate of acceleration of of where things are headed within the church and i would just encourage any brothers and sisters who are still within the church that are listening to this to do not defile your garments hold fast to the the teachings of the restoration the scriptures the words of joseph and and the temple ordinances the covenants that you have made not the not the revised ones that are available today but the ones you first received that were you know close a little further upstream (laughs) not quite as muddy this is it's it's a difficult place to find yourself to to realize I am in Christ's church, but the church has ab- has abandoned Christ's gospel, and and I I I I have great empathy because I've been there, and um and I guess my message is, you know, God, we can use all of the good people in the church that we can get, and you know. It may feel like an uphill battle because it is. You may be the minority because you are, but hold fast. Don't defile your garments. Don't break your covenants. And God needs righteous servants within even the dead branch of the mother church. And, you know, and there there are still good people that God has not forgotten. Uh, let me just keep going here in verse 4. So the few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh in Sardis, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So, um, Boy, the brothers Lord, and sisters the who are in the yeah. church... The Lord sure seems to be pointing out that 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 uh, th- there's not a lot of them coming out of this, uh, right? I mean, is that the vibe you're getting? Yeah, I mean, and this is not really surprising, given you think about the Sermon on the Mount, where it's talking about the the gate, the 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 path, um, the road to condemnation is broad, and many there be that that find it, and the 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 path to life is narrow and straight and few there be that find it i will say the church the lds incorporated mainstream church is by far the largest numeric branch so few could still be a good number you know we could be still talking maybe tens of thousands i i would hope that there would be tens of thousands of faithful saints still within the church membership roles um but I think that their numbers are dwindling and and they will continue to decrease as the trajectory of the church moves forward. Um, And so, but I think it's this, this, this concept real quick. I just finished up this one thought of being clothed in white. That is uh, to me a promise that 
even if you feel like a, a an island in the church, like you're the only one still standing for the principles of the Constitution and the restoration, like the, the original teachings and and have a testimony of Joseph and all of these things and are not getting swept up in the moment. Like even if you feel very isolated in that situation, you're, God has not forgotten you. Christ will confess your name to the Father. He and you will be clothed in white, and, and Christ will present you before the Father. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Sorry, you, know, you were gonna say something? Yeah. This is always a little bit of a touchy subject for me because I get dude, I'll be honest, I get probably 50 emails a week on this subject, right? Like I know something's wrong, but I feel like God's telling me to stay. And that's a tough place to be. It, it really is. My, I have a lot of sympathy. I have a lot of compassion. Because I, I, well, I honestly, I have a lot. I have a lot of admiration. Yeah. Because in that situation, it would probably be even, as hard as it is um, to be an independent fundamentalist. It's probably easier than being the only one swimming upstream and everything else is going the opposite direction. Right. I've had people ask me, well, well, when is it do I get out? And I'm like, don't ask me, bro. That's that's between you and your God. Right. You you better get comfortable with with asking him that question. You know, you got to kind of ask the Lord, what what is my red line? Right. What, what is the line that cannot be crossed? before i have to leave for me it was it was the i can't even say the last round of temple changes now it was the round before that where i was like okay i'm and and this was just me i'm not telling anybody else what to do but for me i was like this is getting close to that whole mocking god thing right i because because i know i i know what what was there before and i know what's here now and and so i've i've got that now that may not be everybody's red line the Lord may have you there simply to be a Mormon, to witness the downfall, to be one that bears testimony. And if that's your calling, God bless you, because you got you got to have some patience and some fortitude. So this is one of those things where where, you know, I'm like, look, you've got to make these decisions with God. Don't let me influence you. Don't let Taylor influence you. You go to your God and you figure out when it is it's time for you to leave. So I, I want to be clear on that. And I think that another, I think I we kind of covered it a little bit, but it seems like a great time to remember and remind ourselves the beauty of this perspective of the seven churches in Revelations 2 and 3 is to realize that okay, I might be in this branch, but this isn't the only branch. This is not the only church. And to know that you're not alone and to know that each different branch of the restoration, each different church has a role to play. And you are being uniquely prepared for your future roles by your current experiences. And so if your calling is to stay in Sardis, um, then then that is your calling and we will support you and we consider you allies and friends and brothers and sisters in the gospel even if we go to totally different churches on sunday and maybe some of our other friends think that that's impossible that you, you can't both be part of the restoration we are this this interpretation of revelations 
really drives that point home. And so we can be much more, I think, uh, supportive of one another in our unique, different roles as we move forward in in preparing for the second coming. Absolutely. And and if there's one thing I, I've tried to do, I've made a conscious effort. Of it. I don't know if I've succeeded a whole bunch, but I've, I've tried to have active LDS folks on, right? Where, cause, cause look, where we can stand together, we'd better stand together because too often, and I don't know if it ever brings it up in here, but too often what I find is that within branches of the restoration, we tend to cannibalize each other, right? We tend to, to beat up on each other. And when we're busy fighting amongst ourselves, the real enemy's at the gate, the real enemy's breaking down the door. And so where, where we can stand together, I think we absolutely should. I mean, I, Folks like Kimberly Watson Smith, Ken Peterson, um, uh, Sarah Allen, all, all, I mean, all active, devout LDS people. And I respect who they are. And I don't necessarily want to just pull people from any place that they feel like God has put them. And so, again, just do as the Lord instructs you, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, the safest place for you to stand is right where God tells you to stand. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll share just maybe some of my own personal experiences. So when I first kind of awakened to my awful situation, and I realized that that some of the things that I had been taught in my you know upbringing within the church culture uh, were not really accurate historically or doctrinally, um, and I kind of I, I gained a testimony of some of these fundamental teachings and, and early teachings and, and principles of the gospel. And I found myself faced with the reality that, okay, I have a testimony that I really wasn't even asking for, but the Spirit gave it to me. Um, I mean, I wanted to know the truth, but I, I didn't, but I, I gained a testimony of, of, of plural marriage. And I'm not a practicing polygamist. I have not practiced the principle, but I, I, I've had a, a very powerful testimony of it born of the spirit for about nine years now. And, um, you know, I, at the time I was very active in the church. <laughs> I was in gospel principles class of, or gospel doctrine class of all th of all places when this, the, this testimony came over me and it was a, a powerful, like energy coursing through my body. And it just gave me this pure knowledge, this, this witness. And, uh, and, you know, it would be real, convenient to convince myself I was just you know deceiving myself or it was a hallucination or who knows like you know you to just forget it and dismiss it but I can't and um and so now when I first got that witness I was just like oh my heck what does this mean <laughs> and because I, I was like shoot does this mean I'm gonna be like a polygamist soon and and I mean I was open to it but I was certainly not in the in in the zone of mm. well, I'm going to go and make this happen, and I think that there is uh, value to not rush into things. Like you may get a testimony of plural marriage, that doesn't necessarily mean that you change anything. It maybe it does. Maybe you do need to you know find a different branch of the restoration that would support you in in following that if, if that's God's will for you. But it may not. And in my case. I had opportunities over the next several years to be an elders quorum president, to be a gospel doctrine teacher. I was an organist. Uh, and so I had many opportunities to serve home teacher and, and, and you know, various 
opportunities to serve, it would have been a mistake for me to leave the church just because I got a testimony of something that the church doesn't want me to to do or you know doesn't uh, doesn't support. And so, but then after after a few years. Uh, the time came that I was led to not attend church anymore. And and my first thought was, okay, well, then which group should I join, God? You know, because you're in that mode, like, okay, well, if, <laughs> where do I go to church now? And the spirit really constrained join none of them. And so I felt I felt led to kind of just be a, be a independent. And we did, you know, like we homeschool our kids. We did home church as well for very similar reasons. And I think that... Um, that that was a kind of a, a an opportunity for me to be taught by experience how to stand on my own feet, how to have more discernment and to to be more reliant on on my heavenly Father for guidance. Mm-hmm. And very recently, just in the last few months, I have been led to to join another branch of the restoration formally and. And that has also provided great opportunities for me to learn and grow and serve and, you know, my family to benefit from their, from the social um, support and all of that. And so my um, first, I would just say to anybody in Sardis that's still in the church today, uh, I know it's hard and I commend you for your integrity. Do not defile your garments, hold fast to the things that God has given you and that you have testimony of don't be gaslit. Don't allow yourself to forget or let go of these things because your soul is in the balance. And if you are faithful, if you overcome, you'll be clothed in white. Christ will own you before the father. Um, and, and you may be called to bear a burden of having this testimony in an environment that is not supportive of your testimony. Maybe you'll even get excommunicated. Who knows? Sometimes that does happen. Um, in which case, always be led by God and the spirit don't just go join the next church or branch that you come across because who knows? I mean, if, if God leads you to it, perfect, but be led by God, not your own wisdom and certainly not other men. Right. Um, I, I do think uh, this is something I was going to save to the end, but we're, we're getting close to the end. So let's, let's start. Uh, we have a couple more churches to briefly cover, but, but I do want to say like, hopefully this exercise of going through these churches and analyzing it in this way and, and having this conversation is is a wake-up call to um, basically put to bed once and for all this whole uh, our man, one man is the only one man and our branch is the only true branch and all of the rest of you guys are apostates, which is so prevalent. And And like you were saying, I'm encouraged as well to see many people throwing off that false tradition and and becoming a lot more open to, hey, you know what? I respect that you're in that group. I'm in this group. That doesn't mean that we're that I'm the one true branch and you're you're a false branch. Like that because that it 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 kind of goes hand in hand with the infallibility doctrine, this leader worship. Our one man is the only real one man and he can't be led astray because God won't allow it, you know, which leads to effective infallibility. And it, it, that those perspectives cause so much division um, and strife within the restoration. And we just, we need to kind of, we need to get over it. We need to move past it and, and get beyond that. Um, I believe that this is a call and an invitation for us to unite with our, our brothers and sisters 
um, of the other branches in the restoration and, and recognize each other as friends and allies, not as rivals or enemies. Yeah. And, um, and, and to go along with that, I, we're, we're not asking anybody to, you know, to, to give up where they're at, if they're comfortable there and, and they've been led there by the Lord, we're not saying, you know, stop going to that one place and go to the other place or anything like that. It's just a simple call for mutual respect and love and and charity and brotherly affection one to another. Yeah. And I think if it, if it hasn't been obvious yet, like this is also a wake-up call, all is not well in Zion. And it doesn't matter which branch of Zion that you may currently find yourself, uh, every branch has its issues. And we all have our problems and our weaknesses. And we all need to repent. We all need to put our trust in Christ and in the Father. Um, we we need to overcome. So these are some general trends, but like we said at the beginning, you may personally not at all. These You may be part of a branch, but you may not struggle personally with the kind of the general theme of that branch, but you may have others and you may or you may have a degree of all of these flaws that we, and, and we could all benefit from. And so this is an invitation for personal reflection. Um, we need to become healed. We need to become sanctified. Um, you know, even if you've repented, you're not done. Like you, the, the sanctification process requires refining fire and Zion will be built by purified in heart people. And so we must become purified in heart and sanctified if we strive and if we desire to be part of Zion in the future. And so like, um, and and we're not going to be the only ones building Zion. I'm sorry. These, these others, these seven churches, these seven different branches, it's not like a hundred percent of any one of these branches is going to be in Zion, but there will be representatives from all of these branches who will come together and build Zion when the time comes and uh and and we can recognize one another as allies and brothers and sisters right yep Perfect. Well, let's let's get through these last couple of churches um now i had one last thing to share uh we're i'm just realizing we've gone down some good tangents and it was all Sorry. great but <laughs> that's that's what i do dude you knew it coming on so same yeah I, i'm with you all right so revelation chapter three <clears throat> verse seven we're, we're now on chap on church Number six, uh, it's Philadelphia. These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Now, this is unique because these descriptions of Christ, which is clearly Christ being described here, but these are not found in chapter one. This is the only of the six of the seven churches, this is the only one that doesn't have these titles and descriptions of Christ appear in chapter one, but it, it conveys Christ, his sealing power, uh, his connection to the house of David or, or, you know, of the tribe, his kingship in the tribe of Judah. And so this is a little different. I know thy works verse eight, behold, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. So Philadelphia, church number six, uh, they have an open invitation from Christ that no man can revoke. And it's it's just open. And uh, it, it would it would appear to suggest that maybe they haven't 
accepted that invitation yet, but it is available and eventually the time will come when they walk through that open door. Behold, verse 9, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. So, so this church, this branch of the restoration, um, they, they do not deny the name of Christ. That's really important in, in verse eight, but it's interesting because in verse nine, it starts describing things like this synagogue of Satan, these, these fake Jews. And it's saying that the, these fake Jews will be forced or, you know, compelled to come and learn how to worship in truth from this branch of the restoration. Now, um, there are surprisingly a lot of people within the restoration who have felt inclined to, to start doing like some of the Passover and the Sukkot and Shavuot and some of these ancient Hebrew feasts and holidays and festivals and, and become more of a like a messianic, orthodox kind of jewish practice of the rest form of the restoration and i think that as long as they do not deny christ's name and hold fast the to the restoration this is an interesting branch um the the these the fake jews who are you know maybe culturally jewish but are not actually worshiping as god ever asked of the jews or of any of the ancient hebrews they're going to be taught by this branch and in verse 10, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And um, behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. So they're promised protection um, if, if they will hold fast. And someone, I guess it maybe some people may try to take their crown. So, you know, they'll be able to keep it if they hold fast. Um, verse 12, this begins to come to go through some of the promises of this branch. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. So if they overcome, which to me is just that holding fast and also walking through that open door, the invitation that has been extended, once they accept it, uh, they have been promised to be not just part partakers of the temple, but to be made a pillar in the temple. This, to me, suggests some priestly roles mm -hmm. in the temple of Jerusalem. And so this is a very interesting promise to, the, to this branch. This, this, is, this is quite a unique church you know right um this this particular one and uh and it's, so it's philadelphia and uh anyway so we'll we'll talk about maybe some speculation on who that could apply to in just a minute let's go through the very last church so this is verse um 14 the seventh church unto the church of the laodiceans right these things saith the amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of god that's a title of Christ in verse 5 of chapter 1. Um, Laodicea, I know thy works, thou art neither cold nor hot. 
I would that thou wert cold or hot. So Laodicea, there's, there's, it's kind of a fence writing type of a, right. of a group, warm. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, this one may apply generally to the group of Laodicea, this particular church or branch. But I think that all of us have at least some opportunity to become a little more hot or cold in our discipleship, whether it could be right. in how we, how we practice our religion, in our political involvement, how we practice our religion in our family relationships, how we do it in our communities, in, let alone in our church, in our faith. Right. You know, <clears throat> discipleship is is a is a whole life pursuit, not just a Sunday, you know, spiritual pursuit. And so uh <laughs> I will spew thee out of my mouth because you're lukewarm. You, you remember that story? A friend of mine shared a story about, you know, there was this big field. And Christ was on one side and Satan was on the other side, the devil. And, and they were trying to persuade people to come and follow after them. And right down the middle was a big fence separating the two. And all of the people had to pick one side or the other. And, you know, many followed Christ. Many followed the devil. Uh, one guy wouldn't pick. He refused both sides. Uh, didn't really like the terms either way. And, and so... Um, everybody else had made their decision and we're kind of wandering off and, and the devil comes back and he's like looking around and like, like he lost something and he, he looks around and, and the guy's like, are you looking for something? And the devil looks up at him and he's sitting on the fence and he says, oh, there you are. Come with me. And the guy's like, I didn't pick you. And the devil's like, I know you didn't pick me, but I own the fence. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. So, so yeah, this idea that we can, you know, play the diplomat or play both sides or, or not make a firm commitment one way or another, not making a commitment is also a commitment. It's a decision. Right. And so um, that's a warning in general of this seventh church, this branch. Uh, but I think that all of us personally should uh, consider that and, and, you know, look in the mirror right. <laughs> when it comes to that. Uh, this these next verse 17 this is kind of unique this branch this uh laodicea because thou sayest i am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked so this is kind of the inverse of uh um was it thyatira the, the second church right. um yeah they're the second church was mm -hmm. Ephesus, Laodicea. I don't know why. So I can I can remember. So Thyatira is not the the second church. Mm -hmm. Sardis, Thyatira, Philadelphia, Pergamos. Oh, is it Smyrna? Smyrna. That's who it is. So Smyrna is kind of the inverse. Smyrna is described as basically temporally in poverty, but spiritually rich. Laodicea is basically described as temporally very rich or wealthy, increased with goods. They don't need anything, but they're actually spiritually impoverished. They're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. <clears throat> so that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and if it's a general thing that applies, great, but it, it could also apply... Um, 
personally doesn't apply to me. You know, I, I feel like Tevye, if, if riches are a curse, may God smite me with it and I never recover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I could, I could, I could probably figure out how to deal with that curse. If, if it came down to it, um, <laughs> that's not my, that's not my cross to bear, but I know that many people, uh, do have that. And, and it, I would invite any individuals that this applies to that does enjoy personal, you know, temporal wealth. Um, make sure that you're not neglecting the spirit. Right. Um, so verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. So the, the priority here, so don't put our trust in temporal goods. Gold is a precious metal and it retains value. It's a hedge against inflation. I mean, it's a great investment. If you have like a retirement or, or a portfolio, 100%, I think gold's a great place to put that. But this is referring to a spiritual purchase of God. In other words, we make voluntary payments to God we would translate that to sacrifice. This is the principle right. of sacrifice. When we lay a sacrifice on the altar, we are making a spiritual payment to God of our own free will and choice. And and really, the any religion that doesn't require the sacrifice of all things cannot produce the faith necessary to salvation. It's not just because God wants our stuff. He's got all this stuff. Like, he doesn't need our stuff. We need to surrender and make that voluntary sacrifice and payment in order to humble ourselves, choose to be humble rather than compelled to be compelled to be humble. And this is really by making those sacrifices. And it may be in the form of like the rich man who asked Jesus, what lack I yet? And he says, give everything you have to the poor and follow me. It could be a sacrifice of all worldly wealth. I don't know. I'm not, the, I'm not God. If that is your cross though, if that's God's calling for you, it's worth it. Like right. it may seem like the money you have, the harder it probably is to sacrifice everything. If you're, if you got nothing, giving everything away so you can follow God, isn't that big of a sacrifice. I think that the nature of these temporal riches is it, it can, if we're not careful, it can be a barrier to discipleship. And so we need to obtain spiritual wealth and, you know, it talks about nakedness. So spiritual clothing or armor the armor, the of, armor god. of god yep um, and then isav it talks about so we need discernment we need to be able to see and perceive truth spiritually um and so it's it's referring to this isav these are the things that when you make that spiritual payment to god he will give you, us the gift of protection armor and and sight discernment Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. So Christ is there. He is not the limiting factor in this invitation. He's, he's waiting. Right. It's, it's the role of this individual or this church, this branch, to open the door and uh you know receive and you know the 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 spiritual ears and and open up to him to him that overcometh 
uh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. So joint heirship is the promise. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. Mm. And those are the seven churches of, uh, of Revelations chapter one through three. Um, let me go through real quick and, and I'll just, these are just personal speculations. Uh, I, I personally see kind of some fit, but I could be wrong. And, and I may be missing some, I may, you know, I, I think that maybe, um, like for instance, going first off to Ephesus, I think Ephesus is a beautiful church. Uh, have, they've, they have a lot of, uh, amazing pro good things. And then just a few things like, no, stop neglecting the first love, do the first works. Um, this would be, a, a but they have not allowed false teachers and, and, and false leaders to, to lead them to destruction. These, I would say, it would be folks like the Nielsen's, the Naylor's, Winston Blackmore up in Canada, uh, Shem, and some of the Johnson's up in northern Idaho. There's some folks out in Missouri. They, they've basically begun to kind of um, gather various pockets that had just been so fragmented. Because, you know, they would see something go funky or, or wrong in the fundamentalist leadership, and they're like, well, pfft. We're not following that. I'm not going to sustain that or go along with that. And so they kind of just divided themselves. But they've begun to gather again, and uh, and so they're 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 doing a lot of work. They are, I think, well on the way of of um, overcoming some of the problems. There's right. still always room to grow, and each the individuals are different. Some of the individuals are very far along, in my opinion, that I know and 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 have worked with and love. Many others maybe are just beginning, starting to to work towards the right direction. Um, but that would be my um, identification of the first church, Ephesus. Okay, Smyrna. I guess I already kind of said. Yeah, Smyrna. You already said we're, like we're John Singer. And I guess another one, are you familiar with the guy, there was the police officer, I think Roy Potter was his name. Um, he's an independent and he gained a testimony of the gospel and was blackballed. He had to move out of state because he was a police officer. He was actually very well respected in this field, but then it came, it came out that he was a practicing polygamist. He got excommunicated from the church. He got fired from his job and couldn't get work. So he had to move out of state. Um, and so just again, struggled financially temporally um but many amazing spiritual gifts so uh and obviously i think the krauts ogden and kevin Crowd are, are some of the very prominent names amongst independents right. so the third church pergamos um they i think headquartered near salt lake uh is is a good indication this is probably the all red group also known as the apostolic united brethren um, and, and be, the other thing I think that really correlates well here is Rulin, um, was Rulin Allred. Um, if anybody is not familiar with that history, he was murdered, um, by an, an extremist from a different faction, um, in the seventies. And, uh, and he was someone who testified that he had seen the savior and, and, you know, was it was an apostle in word, not just in title, or indeed not just in word. I should say, um, faithful martyr there. Um, and so 
man, some of the cautions there may come across as harsh or or critical of 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 the all reds. I don't mean it that way. I think that you know take take it for what it's worth. If there is application here, that that it's an invitation to repent and and do better. And all of us can repent and do better. We all need that reminder. Um, possibly Petersons could be part of that branch as well, because they kind of came from, they're, they're basically like, they broke directly off the All Reds. Gerald, I don't, I don't really know the history, but I've heard that he was also a, a martyr um, and was, you know, to, had a testimony as an apostle and, and was a, like a faithful martyr. Um, I don't know. I'll defer to to somebody that has more experience or knowledge um, to see if that fits. <laughs> anyway, that, that's another possibility. So the fourth church, Thyatira, um, there is a group out in Missouri who I have a great love and respect for. Um, they are the Lob family and and their kind of network. It's not just the Lobs, but they're kind of the the most prominent name. So we, mm -hmm. we kind of call them the lobs, but they, uh, they are very engaged in preparing for Zion. They're in Missouri, not in, not in, uh, you know, independence, but a few hours away, they are in uh, making amazing strides towards just building a self-sustaining community. You know, they can live off grid pretty well. They, they're, they're not dependent upon, Babylon, like most of us are, <laughs> right? Uh, for our livelihoods and for our, they um they're they're in the process of uh you know preparing a temple in in that area, um they're doing amazing things. So like when it says they're doing more now than they ever have before, I think that that really applies well. Well, I think that they have seen some of the problems of being allowing some of their family and and some of their brothers to be seduced by sectarian Christianity and forsake some of the, the principles of the fullness and the, the tragedy that it causes with the children and, and, you know, um, families being broken up and all of that. And, and, you know, again, I don't, there, there are some pretty harsh criticisms. I'm not saying this because I'm trying to condemn anybody. I'm just saying if these principles apply, whether it's to your group or to you personally, I invite you to receive them humbly and, and the promises, if you overcome are pretty amazing. So start personally, that would, that would be the other thing I'd say, start personally yes. before, before you think yeah. you're going to go correct anybody else. This should be more of a call of looking at yourself before you start looking yes. at, at your neighbor. So, and you know, and I, I actually, I have ties to the lobs, so I would also apply that to myself. And this is something mm -hmm. that I need to be vigilant and guard against and also warn my neighbor. Because if, if I perceive a threat or a problem and I don't do anything, how is that true love for my brother? Right. <laughs> if I don't even warning him of something that it could be catastrophic spiritually. Um, so, yeah. And then, so Sardis is is number five, the mainstream church. We, we talked Quite extensively about that philadelphia this really unique branch that is kind of maybe practicing some of the old testament ceremonies and festivals incorporated with the restoration but they are not denying the name of christ and they're preserving and holding fast that what they have they, they have a little strength i think that this would be a great representative um or that the, the zarahemla foundation would be a great 
you know, match for this Philadelphia church description. Right. Um, who good folks you there. Know, great folks, a lot of good friends, and and I've I've fellowshiped with them many times over the years. I I love them dearly as well, and and uh, you know, and just again invite them to whenever the time is and they're moved to to walk through that door and accept that invitation. Um, and I do I do see them fulfilling a priestly role in right. the temple, Diane. Josh, yeah, yeah. The Zarahemla Foundation has done a great job in preserving preserving that heritage, right? That mm-hmm. that that with, with the with the lens through the lens of the restoration too through, right through the lens of the restoration that, and and that was something that impressed me early on as i got to talk to joshua so frequently on here was that even though he was holding fast to those jewish customs and the jewish uh rites like passover and that sort of thing he was doing it through the lens of christ and through the lens of the restoration and i got nothing but respect and love for that man and his family yeah, and I do see a time. So in, in the Temple of New Jerusalem, we know that there are 12 temples of Aaron, Aaronic priesthood, and 12 temples of Melchizedek priesthood. And Joseph, I mean, he taught a little bit about some of the Aaronic priesthood, but a lot of it was was not ever fully developed. And so whatever that, you know, in its full form turns out to be, I see people like that, you know, Joshua, the Zarahemla Foundation and any others who have a testimony of Christ and the restoration, but who feel a calling or an affinity towards those Hebrew feasts and and festivals, I believe that they will be instrumental in administering in those Aaronic temples. Sure. And and, and it talks about being pillar in the temple. And then Laodicea, um, the seventh church, this one, um, just because of the temporal wealth component um, I, I tend to identify with like the Kingstons, um, just because I know they're very, you know, temporally speaking, very wealthy. And, uh, again, I don't, I don't mean if there's anybody in the Kingstons that's listening to this, this is not personal and I'm not speaking critically, or I'm not accusing you of being lukewarm or anything along those lines. But I think that there are certain challenges that are unique <clears throat> when you have great temporal wealth, you're going to have a different set of temptations and propensities and things to watch out for than the less cursed like like i am <laughs> so, <laughs> um, right and and so just you know take it for what it's worth and and it's an invitation um if if there's one thing i can share or i guess any other thoughts any other names you want to add yeah to that yeah list? so yeah i want to say this and then i'll 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 turn it over to you to wrap us up here this is one of the few places in scripture where the lord doesn't seem to be saying one way or another is going to come out right there's a lot of ifs in these in in a lot of conditionals yeah a lot of conditionals so this idea of well it's all set in stone there's nothing we can do there's certainly prophecies that that are that way i don't think this is one of them right as i read through this prepping for it i just kept focusing on the word if that came up a lot throughout 
two and three. And, and, and even if it's not written, it's very implicit to him that overcometh. Yeah. That's a conditional. <laughs> right. Right. If. And so, so that's, that's the one thing I would say, this is by no means, nobody should walk away from this saying, Oh crap, the, the place I go to church is condemned. That's not what we're saying. Whatever. The other thing is, I want to be very clear that this is not a call to repentance. Maybe you could use these as, uh, you know, something to reflect on, right? Only you can decide if the, there's something there that 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 needs to be repented of. Certainly, I have my list, and it is long, and it is arduous, and I struggle with it every day. I think that's the price of discipleship. We shouldn't shun that. We should welcome that to a certain extent, that, that invitation for personal growth. And lastly, I'd just like to say I've met people from every one of these groups. Certainly, it, it, and, and if it's not okay, I will, I'll edit it out. But like you were talking, we're two guys who, who, who belong to different groups, right? I, I'm a member of the branch or the Petersons. You, you attend with the Nielsen Nailers, right? So we, you know, I, I feel like, I feel like your, your theory is very just, right? You're not singling one person out or one group out over another. Um, but I, I've met many, many people from, from all these different groups, and I love each and every one of the folks I've met. They're great people. So please don't take this as us, again, crapping on where you go to church because that's not what we're doing. We're not bashing on anyone. We're we're bashing on wickedness and you know treating lightly the thing. Or we we I hope that this can be a, a good reminder of the importance of holding fast. Like that's another recurring theme that's in most of these branches is hold fast what you've received. Don't let people deceive you or don't let uh, people bully you into letting go of the truths and the gifts that God has given you overcome that adversity and the promises are, are very beautiful. Um, I guess one other thing is, you know, in the church, I, I felt like I had to stay in the church because I had this, you know, the blinders that that's the only place that was legitimate. Um, and as I overcame that, I started to think, well, maybe the church is insufficient. Maybe I haven't gotten my full priesthood or ordinances. And so, you know, I think part of why God led me to not join any of the other groups is because at the time I had this perspective of, well, what can I get out of this group? What can I get out of this other group? What can wrong I wrong way to look at it? Wrong way. Totally the wrong. And so, like, I I don't think that I I would just invite wherever you are, don't be looking at it like, well, what can I get out of you know, my membership in this church or this group or this branch of the restoration, our perspective should be one of priests and kings. We should be asking God, what, how would you like me to serve my fellow brothers in this branch, in this church, in this? And so if you're called to stay in the LBS mainstream Sardis church, it, it shouldn't, you shouldn't be lamenting, well, my church is failing me because that it is, it could, I, I understand the feeling. I can have great empathy. My church is failing me. They've betrayed me. Those are real feelings. And, but Christ can heal them. What you, what I think is a far more productive way to expend energy and focus is to, is to seek and, and ask God, how do you want me to serve your church? Uh, and, and the people, and it's all personal. You know, you don't really serve the institution. How do you want me to serve 
my fellow brother or sister that I go to church with on Sunday. That is how we should approach our discipleship as, as members of the restoration. We are all great beneficiaries of the restoration, and but there's so much that needs to be done, and we are the instruments. We can be. We have been called and invited to be God's instruments in preparing the world for his coming. Absolutely. And, and, here's, the, and here's the thing. If you're looking to get something out of whatever branch you're in, just serve, just serve, serve somebody else. That's the strangest yet most beautiful part of, of Christ's message. You know, is that, that part where he says, if you lose your life, you'll find it. Yeah. Right. Just, just serve. If you just serve, you will find what it is you're looking for. If you're looking just to be served, well, you're, I, I don't see being served necessarily as one of the tenets of Christ's conditions, right? Um, it, it, we were called as servants to to our, our fellow man and certainly our brothers and sisters in Christ and within the restoration. So I think we got, it all starts with with that attitude of of who is it that I serve and and how can can I be of the most benefit in building up the kingdom of God. And I think service sometimes at least in my baggage I think service means you go do service projects like you're raking old ladies yards and and, and it's like actions and and or money or you know gifts or whatever. And and those are very um wonderful. I'm not taking anything away from that. But I would also invite you to consider expand that service to simply being kind, to reaching out, to expressing appreciation for one another, to being loving. And it, and it starts in your own home and family, your relationships. How can you be of greater service to your wife? Well, yeah, you could probably do more dishes and that's never going to be a bad idea. But are you treating her as the daughter of God that she is? Are, are you treating her how you would want your son-in-law to treat your daughter? Like, and, and like just putting those types of things into perspective, we sometimes take those relationships for granted. And just kindness, building those relationships, bearing testimony. I think that's another really underrated way that we can serve one another is to, well, I guess, first off, obtain a testimony. <laughs> And then share it and bear it and remind each other. And we can strengthen our faith through those sharing of experiences and, and our daily walk of discipleship. I have one last thing. Um, it's it's a vision. And, uh, you know, this is something that I'd like to share that I think really ties this principle of the unity of the restoration. We're all, even if we're in different branches or churches, we're part of Christ's church. And we all have a role to play in this in these winding up scenes. Um, this, this was a vision that occurred, um, a friend of mine received, brother-in-law, uh, on July 12th, 2020. And this, this goes back to the height of the first COVID summer. So this is right after George Floyd had been mm -hmm. killed. And so there's all those BLM riots the last those those last few weeks um, leading up to that. He was killed at the end of May, and this was mid-July. Um, and then COVID was about four or five months into that pandemic. So just a lot of uncertainty in the world. 
And so he, he, he wrote this out. I'd like to just read his, his words. He says, I was a passenger on a long drive um, through the back highways of Southern Idaho. And I dozed off while pondering these troubling events of the world. While asleep, I had a kind of dark and disturbing dream. And I suddenly awoke with a question foremost on my mind. What is going to happen to this country? You know, with all the riots, <laughs> is there going to be a civil war? What's going on? And in answer to the question, he looked out the window and, he, and there's a road sign and, and it said, America Falls. Now, we actually knew this was a sign for a town. Like, you know, this is where you turn to go to American Falls, Idaho. But he read it coming out of that dream with that question on his mind, America Falls. And he took that as a sign from God that this is um, the, an answer to his question, what's going to happen to the country? It's going to fall. I told um, the, my companion who's driving, I've seen a sign. We began to discuss the troubling portents. At one point, he brought up a counter argument. What about the white horse prophecy? Doesn't it say that the Constitution will hang by a thread, but ultimately will be saved by the church or the elders? Um, neither of us had read the revelation in some time, so I pulled it up and began to study it. Much of it did seem inspired, but I also felt something was off. It seemed to me that either the revelation had been misremembered or was incomplete or maybe even was just being misinterpreted. Then for the first time in my life, I received a prompting. I was to prepare myself to receive a vision in clarification. Unsure of what to do, I told my companion I was going to be meditating and praying for a while. I proceeded to close my eyes and began focusing on an image of a white horse. After what seemed like a few minutes of concentration and nothing but my own imagined image of a white horse, the vision suddenly opened. Instead of a horse, I beheld a large tree in an open mountain meadow. As I looked, a sudden bolt of lightning struck the tree, blasting an entire branch of it off of it onto the ground. I looked at the fallen branch and saw it rapidly die and decay back into the earth, it no longer being connected to the large tree and its deep roots. I looked back up to the tree, and in dismay, I saw it begin to welt and die. Starting at the uppermost branches and slowly working down, the leaves began to turn brown and fall away, leaving nothing but barren dead branches pointing into the sky. I was given an understanding that the wound that had blasted off the branch would ultimately be fatal, and the tree was lost. As the final branches withered and died, I cried out in despair. This can't be how it ends, I called out. I looked back to where the broken branch had fallen, and in astonishment, I saw less than a dozen different species of flowers sprout up out from the ground. I understood that the branch had carried these seeds away with it. And while the branch didn't survive, it preserved seeds that only now began to bloom and blossom, now that the original tree was nothing more than a lifeless stick in the ground. I wondered at how a tree's seeds could bring forth flowers, but as the flowers grew, they came together and formed a new sapling. Thus, the liberty and freedom of God's children would be preserved. I awoke from the vision which seemed to take place in a matter of seconds to find I had been out for hours. I am convinced that this is a true vision, but I don't claim exclusive or complete knowledge of its interpretation. As I have prayed and pondered it, I believe the tree to represent the restored church of Christ. The lightning bolt symbolized the abandonment of the doctrines of the little ga literal gathering of Israel, the application of covenants like the United Order, and the administration of sacred ordinances such as celestial marriage. Without these things, the tree or the church was doomed to die a slow death and thus be unable to fulfill its intended role in preserving the Constitution. The branch that broke off carried these doctrines, ordinances, and other things away, but failed to establish a new tree or church at that time. 
Ultimately, I believe the vision answers the question of how the freedom of, and liberty of God's children would be preserved despite the death of Christ's church and the coming destruction of America as a government and nation. The flowers symbolize the various fragments and remnants of the fundamentalist breakoff groups that will ultimately preserve the principles of the Constitution, among many other things, as they come together in a new location to the east and reestablish the living and restored church and a constitutional government in the form of Zion, the New Jerusalem. Wow. So, yeah, I think that the timing is really interesting because many of these fundamentalist branches haven't really been doing so hot themselves. <laughs> but we've, like you've observed, you've, you've seen it, I've seen it. Just in these last few years, there has been a resurgence of inspire, you know, inspired leadership, revelation, and um, renewed resolve and commitment and excitement to build up Zion and prepare for that in the future. And it's not just in your branch. It's not just in my branch. It's not just in any one branch. It's like in most, if not all of these fundamentalist branches. And even within the church, the remnant, uh, the, those few that have, you know, that are remaining in the church that are awake and alert and are seeing these problems and, and you know, holding the line as best they can in, in a dying branch, like th th this is a time where there's far more communication and mutual respect and collaborative brotherhood than I think has ever been in the history of, of Mormonism. We've very much stayed in our silos and forced everybody to keep away, um, you know, no, no contact zones. And those days have passed. I'm excited for the future. I think there are dark times ahead, but the light of the gospel cannot be extinguished because, again, no unhallowed hand can stop God's work from progressing. Persecutions may rage, mobs may combine, calumny may defame, uh, armies may assemble. I'm out of order, but you know, but the truth of God will go forth boldly, nobly, and independent. And until the great Jehovah shall say the work is done, this is we're on the cusp of a greater outpouring of spiritual power than has been seen since the very beginning of the restoration, not just in, in private individuals' lives, but in large group settings, because without that, we wouldn't be surviving the darkness that is at our doorsteps. And I think that despite the darkness and the, the tribulations and all of these sacrifices that we're going to make, which could feel overwhelming at times, the, the the brightness of truth and hope has never been brighter. And uh, we can take great comfort in knowing that God is at the helm. He is directing the affairs of men on the earth and women. And, uh, and we have an opportunity to, rather than letting divisions separate us, you know, to, uh, one last little quote. There was a quote I was reading um, in the South on a marquee of a Baptist church about 12 years ago, 13 years ago, it said it's better to be divided by truth than to be united in error. And I, I believe that is a true statement. I think it is better to be divided by truth than to be united in error. And But that, in a nutshell, is, for, is Mormon fundamentalism. If we don't like what, what this leader is saying, we just break off. If we don't like what this church is doing, we just break off. Like Mormonism has fragmented so many times. There are almost too many to count various factions and many of them could just be a single family like a single household we have we have divided ourselves 
over the truth. And I think that the time has come to rewrite that statement. Rather than focus on the, you know, being divided by truth than united in error, I think the time has come to, it is better to be united in truth than to be divided by error. And all of us have our errors. All of us have our, our personal and collective issues that we can do better and, 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 and work through and be healed from through the atonement. Um, the time has come to put aside those differences and unite in the core foundational truths of the restoration. And, uh, you know, if not, then we probably won't be involved with Zion. We might not even survive <laughs> the darkness that's coming in. I think that we do need to, to, to focus, bring that focus more on uniting in truth rather than being divided by truth. Yeah. And, and you can unite on truth and still hold and, and, because this has been the tricky thing, right? And and oddly enough, it's been the tricky thing for America as a whole. Is this how do mm. you keep your, in this case, religious identity, and at the same time, reach out to other groups and other folks so that you can build, um, you can build those relationships that, that only strengthen. Look, one of the ways fascism was so effective in germany under under the nazi socialist party was they just singled out one group at a time and everyone said it well it's not my group they they were coming after those folks first and then pretty soon i can't remember who wrote the poem but pretty soon you looked around and there's no one else to stand behind you because you allowed everybody else to get cannibalized first and so again, we're not saying stop going to where you're going or we, you know, we all need to come together to form one giant church right now. We're just saying work together where we can. That's that to me has been, been the overarching theme It's just work together on stuff where you can. Don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to, to help your neighbor, you know, your brother, whether he's, in the Nielsen Nailers or he's out in Missouri or in the LDS church, whatever the case is, just serve, just serve. And, and the rest will take care of itself. Well, and the amazing thing is, you know, you may have stereotypes because you don't know. I, I, from personal experience, I have learned to love and build these amazing friendships and, and uh, respect. I, I have learned to respect many friends in all of these various branches. And they're way less weird and scary than you might've thought before you got to know them. And so we have so much more in common than we have that, that is different. I mean, if you look at the, 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 there's just the world, what fraction of a percentage even is aware of the fullness of the gospel and, and the, you know, the early teachings of Joseph Smith. It's a very, very small percentage. And yet we get so upset with one another because we take this or that private interpretation. And, and, you know, that may have been fine in our grandparents' time, but I think we have a common foe, the whore sitting on many waters, gathering her armies to come out in open war against 
Christ and the Church of the Lamb. And so the time has come to put aside the the preferences, the the differences of opinion, and unite on the principles. And and we all have a testimony of Christ and the prophet Joseph Smith and and his teachings, the doctrines and, and ordinances of the restoration. Let's focus on what we have in common and build a build friendships, respect, and get rid of these false traditions. You know, I'll I'll say one last thing. I'm sorry, I keep saying that. But <laughs> you so in full disclosure, back in gosh, what was it, March when I had the barbecue at my place? Yeah, March or April. March Early. or April. I, I had a big barbecue at my place. And I invited a bunch of people from, from the church I go to. I had invited a bunch of people from the podcast. I mean, uh, Joshua Erickson was there, uh, Jacob Vedrine, uh, Taylor, myself, some folks I'd actually never met, which was cool, that got invited through friends. Um, and the interesting thing was, and it, I, I remember at one point, I just kind of was looking as everyone was eating and talking. And I was like, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm not sure this would have happened 20 years ago. Right? Maybe I'm wrong, but from from everything I, I've heard, it was very fragmented. It was very, I got my thing, and I'm going to stay right here. You got your thing, you stay over there. And that's how it was. It so <laughs> what's that? And keep your distance. And keep your distance, right. And And what I find interesting now is, is some of that seems to be dying off. And, and I'm so encouraged by that because we can keep our differences and still be united. Um, I think our strength isn't just in unity, but it's in our differences. And, mm -hmm. and it, we, we need to hold on to those as well. But I, I, I agree with you. I, I, I don't think I've been, been as encouraged as I have been since I started doing this podcast. And look, I'm not going to sit here and blow sunshine up your backside, but I'm, I, I will say this evil has a way of overplaying its hand every time. And there are going to be darker days than this ahead. But if there's one thing that, that God shows time and again in the scriptures is he loves a dramatic ending. He is the master and author of the dramatic ending. And it it's going to get dark, folks. I'm not going to lie to you. And it's going to look like we lose up to the very end. And I think God will say to those who've been trying to follow him, who have done their best, now is the time to stand. And when we stand, evil will understand it. It's overplayed its hand. Just keep doing what you're doing out there, folks. You're doing great. I love you. I know it sounds strange, but I can feel you at times through the podcast. I'm always here. I love you. That's all I got. Anything else, Taylor? No. Amen. And amen. God bless. All right. Bye, everybody. You're listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast.